Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Does that count? <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Very good morning to you. Welcome along. It's Thursday morning. It's uh, West Ham's world and we just live in it. Certainly it's David Moy's world. Uh, Kathleen's here. Kathleen, good morning to you. Morning, morning. Shane is here. Shane. Good morning. You were saying that you felt happy for David Moyes. Joy for David Moyes. Just like I didn't like I didn't expect the full-time reaction. Or the, sorry, the reaction to Jared Bowen's goal. When he goes running down the touchline, almost Mourinho-esque, you're like, this is a, a side of David Moyes' happiness that none of us had ever seen. And then you see his 87-year-old father being handed the medal by him afterwards and getting a couple of photographs and would melt your heart a little bit um, it's his first trophy as a manager in 25 years I think you find there was Community Shield in there for Manchester United wasn't there? was there? I think there was you sure? But yeah there was yeah so that doesn't count though because the previous manager obviously got him to the Community Shield uh, that's a fair point though does, it's, does it's that, not, does it's that not a, it's not a fair point you're, you're 100% correct yeah, yeah. I'm being uh, yeah I thought I was going to say it doesn't count because it's Community Shield well like exactly you know what, if you were the manager that earned the right to play in the Community Shield, then you have a bit more. Even no, then. Even then. That's a bit of a stretch. Um, but yeah. Jared Hulia used to count it. Well, there you go. I suppose for their little treble they had. I think if you're a West Ham fan this morning and you hadn't won a trophy since 1980, um, it's a pretty special night. That's oh, amazing. Like that, It was just incredible. And Fiorentina, I know, a team with a lot of history as well, but uh, the West Ham fans just were an unbelievable voice throughout in Pride last night. I'm sure there were some scenes in Pride last night as well of celebration. Um, you couldn't but be pleased for most of them. Uh, and then you see Declan Rice pop up on the TV and you're like, ah. Oh, when Declan Rice signs from Manchester United, if he ever does, you're like, oh, that guy's great. What an amazing player. I love him. I love me some Declan Rice. Look at him standing up for what he believes in, not being coerced. Mm, stand up for what he believes in kissing the Irish badge and moving on up the Ra he was an up the Ra guy wasn't he he was he was yeah, yeah. yeah. quickly switched um, but I think generally speaking the way West Ham got, went about their business last night was, was impressive Kurt Zumek was off injured changes things a little bit were they not I, I, was I thought they were quite poor for yeah, large swathes they were yeah they're yeah. not shite well, the game itself was was reasonably. It, it, def- it wasn't a classic, but like Fiorentina definitely should have been a couple of goals ahead by the time West Ham actually started getting into it. Yeah, and their manager Italiano at the end is just given. He seems to be given out about everything. Um, I don't know exactly what his issue was. Certainly, the bone goal was fair and square onside. Took it really, really well. Cool as you like. Um, and then you see Mark Noble, the sporting director, almost in tears afterwards as well. Um, there was a video going around yesterday of a couple of West Ham fans found him out for a run yeah, and they started jogging along beside him, beers in hand, <laughs> as chatting you do. away, as yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. So, no, from a West Ham perspective, you've got to be pleased for them. I, I think David Moyes just, like, did he save his job by winning last night? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, it's very difficult for him to sack him. Like, and he does have that uh, yo-yo tendency, or certainly did with... Everton, where they would scrape out of relegation and the next season be in Champions League contention. Mm. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe next year's a good league year. It also, by the way, puts a, a certain stamp on the Europa Conference League. Because I have to say, I, along with many others probably, when the Europa Conference League was 
invented. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. Weren't you, you both dismissing this yesterday? Going, ah, does it really matter? Of course it matters. Ah, no, like because I, I think Roma, the scenes when Roma won it last year, you're like, okay, this means so much to them, and then they go on and win the uh, or get to the Europa League final. Sorry, the following year. So clearly, there's development there. I think for Villa fans, I mean, it's you're not, looking at it, this going. This, this is, is not for the super clubs that you support. You know, this no. is not for you. Well, any any is for the rest of Europe who like real real football no, fans. Sorry, I meant it from the <laughs> perspective that there were so many articles yesterday talking about the legendary David Moyes and Declan Rice if they did this, and I just thought it was a bit like extreme. So now that what right, it no, was. No, now that uh, sorry, uh, Bowen has scored a winner in the 90th minute, the first Englishman since the 90s to score. Do you accept that he's a legend? He's a West Ham legend. He's a West Ham legend, yeah. of course. Yeah, but I. Uh, the article was talking about them being legendary figures of the game, not of like West Ham, of a club. I totally accept it from that perspective, but I, yeah, I still stand by what I said yesterday. <laughs> I think I got, I got into it. I think I was into it more and more as the game was wearing on. I was like, this means a lot. And then when you see when you see Moyes running down the touchline, you're like, oh yeah, this means a lot to the club. Like that's a, it is an instantly iconic celebration. Yeah. Um, also, midweek European finals. There's a lot to be said for them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, especially at this time of year, I feel as well when there's not all that much happening, anyways. Like it just felt like the Champions League final is in two days' time, and it does not feel like it. But that's because you're like, come on. No, of course, come if, on. You're a if, City fan if Liverpool were playing, you'd be you'd be praying to the gods you don't believe in that they can somehow stuff it up. If Man United were playing, uh, you'd be like sitting here in your Man United jocks all week. Right, Not the quite. fact that it's Man City about to do a treble, you are studiously ignoring it. Let's let's just call it. It's true. No, but don't. So you guys support Arsenal and Aston Villa. So don't try and tell me that you feel the build-up has been massive. I'm going this to Istanbul week. tomorrow. What are you talking about? Okay, well, fair enough for you. Maybe I'd be pretty excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's different. If you're going to the match, of course. If I was going to Istanbul tomorrow, I'd be thinking about it as well. I don't know. I have said I feel like Drew, you are in the minority in this. Like normally on a Champions League build-up week, we would be like chatting about it loads would be excitement and I don't think it's just because there is a certain expectation I, again it's never over until the final whistle but that like City are going to win it I feel like there just isn't the same excitement Even there's not even the same hatred like Shane's a United fan and you should be sitting there absolutely stewing mad no, that the, City are there he's, he's, he's heartbroken so again but um, I don't even think he is that's I'm the thing I think he's just a bit like eh. accepting of it so, so, think uh, of, so what, 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 are you, what is your collective point here People care less about the Champions League final now than they did before. I think I think it's just because of who's in it. Well, like, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, so. yeah, and maybe because it's Saturday as well. Like maybe that. Plays uh, into it. Liverpool Real Madrid last year was. Uh, like, I suppose. Yeah, but everybody was talking about it because it's Real Madrid and Liverpool. I don't think anybody cares about Italian football at the moment outside of Italy. So I think the fact that it's an Italian team who we feel like are nowhere close to being the second best team in Europe. Against, if this was Real Madrid versus Manchester City, we'd have been very interested in it all week. Even if it was Napoli, at least there's a story maybe. there. Maybe. Fair point. But Fair like, point. I don't know, it just inter In fairness, different. if Napoli were going for a double against a, an English team going for a treble, then I think. Um, I mean, you look at the history that Inter have as well, though. Like, <laughs> I feel they should be, like there should be some credit there somewhere, mm. but there just isn't really. I don't think it's credit though. Like it, it, they're one of the great names of Italian of Italian and world football. Like all the way back to Helena Herrera in the sixties and the team of Brema and Klinsmann and Mateus. Like that was the peak Italian ninety uh, post Italian ninety Channel Four Gazetta era. But it's just that they haven't played. Like even Jose's Inter played terrible, horrible football. 
And this team plays slightly better football, but mm. like I don't know. I it, think it's, it's because it's city. It's it, because it's city. But it, but it's because it's city and, and like because even as United fans could appreciate, like when Liverpool win the Champions League, they're playing good football. Jurgen Klopp has earned them the, the right to win the Champions League. When Real Madrid win the Champions League, it was brilliant to watch. And and yet City, just I think, feel like the it just feels like a procession because they're so good. Well, maybe it's the, the too much possession thing that everybody's getting bored of. Mm. Maybe they're the most common of European football, are they? Possibly, yeah. Possession, keep the ball. Um, but there's a bit, there is a sti- there is a style and substance to City as well, and yet still there's just something about it. Maybe it's Pep. I mean, I, I, you don't like Pep? I don't like Pep. Why not? I used to like Pep, and now uh, he just really pisses me off. Listening to him pisses me off. I'm like, oh, please stop. Um, yeah, so seeing Pep with big ears on Saturday night was, was like, will break a lot of people's hearts. Um, not least myself, but I think you're going to get sucked into it. I think if it's nil all after yeah. 70 minutes, you'll be like, come on, Inter, come on. No, yeah. I, but I, 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 that's not what I'm saying for me, anyways. Like, I'll definitely watch it. I'll get involved in it if so long as it's not like four nil city after like half an hour or something. I'll totally watch it and enjoy it. I'm just saying that I don't feel the same like build up to it this week or the same excitement to it that I would normally feel about a Champions League final. I don't even feel like. And what are you putting that down to? Uh, a complete blasé feeling towards City to be honest like I just I don't have a I should after this season should hate them like but I don't whereas if it was United Liverpool God forbid Spurs ever (laughs) get to the top league again uh, you know I just for some reason and maybe it's because in my living memory City kind of went from nothing to absolutely unbeatable so like there was never even really an opportunity and it was at the same time where Arsenal were going whoop uh, there's never been any opportunity to I suppose build that sort of hatred or care about them and yeah. in the men's game anyways I would feel a lot more if it was City Arsenal in the women's game all I, bets are off I do think the fact that they played such amazing football the games against Real Madrid in particular the, the two-legged tie the first game in particular was so good and then the second game they were so amazing is essentially the whole point about sports watching it really works Nobody, nobody's that really worked up about the fact that City could easily just win this game 2-0 with a clinical performance and they could be 2-0 up after half an hour and then the next 60 minutes will be them playing beautiful keep ball and the fans going ole ole and, uh, and maybe some of the Italian fans rioting afterwards who knows um, but that's the whole point of the experiment is to um, wield your power and not be noticed while you do it and you need likeable players don't you like I love Grealish. Yeah, Grealish. I think people like Grealish, but outside of outside of Grealish, are there any players in that city team you're like, I'm happy. I'm happy for you to win the. I'm very like, happy for Kevin De Bruyne. To I was going to say De Bruyne is Absolutely. the one that I'm came very to happy mind. For, I've, I've fallen in love with Gundo in this season. Yeah, well, he's like a Roy Keane, Roy Kent clone. It's like, wow, this is how did this happen? <laughs> what a mixture! <laughs> what a combo! <laughs> uh, um, no, maybe, maybe. I, th- I think for Grealish's sake, a lot of people want to see him win, but. Um, there's just this acceptance that Grealish is going to win three or four Champions Leagues in his career if he stays at City. Like, this City team are so dominant now, aren't they? I don't know about that. I mean, the Barcelona team with um, Leo Messi in a barely scraped to... Did he get four in the end? Like, there's, I, absolutely not. I, I, I ain't buying that. Like, and also, they might not be in the Champions League next season or the season after. We shall see. Potentially not. Um, it's because it's Man City Asterix says Michael Hill in the YouTube comments you can um, get onto YouTube subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment if you want to get involved in the conversation this morning fans of the Super Club need to understand most football fans don't get to celebrate winning a trophy very often if ever so it should be savoured 
I think this it, is a fundamental point in all this too, right? That like when Man United screwed the FA Cup by going to play in the Mickey Mouse World Club Championships that they did all those years ago and removed the last bit of luster that the FA Cup had. Uh, it kind of was like the oh, it's a minor trophy, you know, and that whole like oh we only win leagues, we're going to celebrate leagues, it's a minor trophy. It was like. Well, actually, winning the League Cup was a massive deal for loads of clubs who could do it. And winning the FA Cup was all-time sensational moment. And maybe <clears throat> maybe Leicester getting relegated and Wigan getting relegated having post-won the Cup kind of takes the sheen off their Cup wins a little bit. But those fans felt alive. But yeah, but that suggestion that super clubs can't... Like, Manchester United fans enjoyed winning the League Cup this year. And certainly the players yeah, now, now you did. Now you did, because you're desperate. But like when you were winning leagues, you were like, oh, the trophies in the corner, no one's celebrating. We're cool. I don't remember when Arsenal won the FA Cup. The amount of United fans were like, ooh, look at you go. Aren't you great? I, don't I also do love the fact that I've been slightly included in the Super Club debate, even though this is the first season in like <laughs> yeah. many, many years that Arsenal have actually achieved. Yeah, welcome anything. back. Well, apart from the FA Cup. Welcome in. Um, no, I know. Like if the Europa Conference League was around at the time where Arsenal were finishing, outside the top four and in those sort of places then like and they did a run to it absolutely would have been delighted like practically I actually felt more upset when they crashed out of the Europa League this year than I did whenever they lost the Premier League title race because one felt a little bit more well, I think they had a chance achieved. of winning that well, yeah, yeah that's I, the thing and like I totally accept that and I'm not doing down on any West Ham fans I have actually a lot of my very good friends from London are all West Ham fans a lot of them were at the game last night and it was just like Instagram videos of them crying, of them in like pubs in London, jumping up and down and tears and like couldn't have been happier for them. Mm. I was just saying that like I thought that to elevate those players to legends of the game was a bit much, but I totally understand how much it would mean for people that are supporting the club. Um, City have turned the Champions League into a Farmers League. This is like this is the thing that like Haaland scoring five goals in a match in the Champions League. You're like this shouldn't be possible. This should not be possible for for a player or team to do this. There's an element of that, like what? It's it's great. It, look, it's great. Like it does incredible thing that no one else has ever done. Oh, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's you're too no. good. No, no, I'm not having this. But the Champions League. What? Sh- the Champions League should be too good for. Oh, I'm enjoying this too much. Stop it. <laughs> I certainly wasn't enjoying it too much. Come on, what are you talking about? It's not a farmers league. That's 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 like arrant nonsense. Absolute nonsense. The early rounds of the Champions League are farmers league. The group stage has turned into something that's that is not what it once was. Used to get used to get unbelievable matches. When did you become such an old man, Shane? What <laughs> <laughs> happened? It frustrated me. I used to love the Champions League. Champions League is still great. The Champions League is still absolutely. It's the peak of world football. Like we we all know this. It's the best quality football over a sustained period of time. But gets good at the quarterfinal, semi-final well, stage, possibly. In, Same as the All Ireland Football Championship. In recent years, it's actually been decent in the group stages. Been loads of teams trying to play good football, and there've been many upsets at various stages. Wasn't it? Was it this season or last season that Real Madrid were in danger against one of those Eastern European teams in, in Celtic group? They were one 0 down at half time. And also, the Real Madrid Celtic game was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. When Ange went at it, and they were uh, holding their own for seventy minutes. Like, look. I just remember feeling breathless throughout that whole thing that they were actually going to get a result. What does everybody want? What like more competitive? You want TikTok? You want a, an, an endless TikTok parade of uh, seven-second? So am, am I too old? Stuff. Am I too old or am I too young? What, what is it? Well, you're, I'm, I'm you're, too old a second ago. Now I'm, now I'm into TikTok. You know, <laughs> which is it? Come on! It's, I'm not even on TikTok. The, it, it turns out that a bunch of middle-aged people have um, been TikTok's biggest users and adopters okay. uh, in in. Uh, over the last six months anyway 
We, we digress. <laughs> uh, nobody cares about it because everybody knows it's going to be a walkover, says Shane. And um, Shifty Lad asks, who has been the most successful London club this year? Most successful London Good club? Good question. Is it uh, Arsenal getting back into the Champions League? You know, <laughs> top four finished. Bit of, a, bit of a title challenge. Bit of a title challenge. Uh, ultimately a swoon. A swoon in the semi-finals or quarter-finals of the Europa League. Quarterfinals? Quarterfinals. What are you? Um, or is it West Ham who barely scrape, barely scrape out of the relegation tr- struggles and manage to win, in fairness, the third tier European trophy? Well, so this is, I'm going to just like support my argument even more here, but I think it's Arsenal because Shifty Lad asks what's the most successful London club. And by club standards, Arsenal came third in the WSL as well. They got Champions League, despite the fact that mm-hmm. half their team was absolutely done. They were one match off getting to the Champions League final, apart from... You don't get a special prize for getting beaten in semis, though. There's no. no. There's no, like, third place. No, but in terms of... Arsenal like, fan we're talking to. I know, yeah. but, like, they uh, have two trophies. in a few rules here. Two trophies between the two teams as well. If you're, if you're comparing the seasons, West Ham in the WSL came eighth. They went on. They didn't win a game this year until like the second last round of the league, I think. So technically, uh, the women's team didn't reach their targets either this season. Like, uh, yeah, but like, look at the injuries they had. I mean, the, literally uh, six of the starting. Everybody team gets all injured. In, in, like this is yeah. I, I, I those <laughs> no, lo- those no not everyone gets injured. Those, uh, every sport, there's always no, injuries no, no. But you for don't. The main team. You Sorry, don't get me you do not. I understand that. Sorry, no. You do not get the levels of injuries that Arsenal had this season apparently every do. year. Apparently, 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 teams do. Teams um, do, but I think I, it. I, I think I think it still should be counted as impressive. Katie McCabe getting into the Champions League team of the season, as voted by UEFA technical observers, and also getting WSL goal of the season. Great goal, by the way. Katie McCabe had a great season. I will grant you that. I'd still rather be a West Ham fan at the end of the season. Do you know to go to a cup final and win? Yeah. Lift the trophies. West Ham fans are going to remember that. Was it Barry Bonds? See the West Ham captain in 75 and 80 when they won the FA Cups? Bobby Murr when they won the previous cup before that? So only two West Ham captains before Declan Rice have ever lifted a trophy. I think Declan Rice is silly enough to like use the atmosphere and emotion of the moment to sign a new deal. Well, he was at, like, I was reading the quotes afterwards and, and I listened to his interview after the match and he's like, Obviously, he wants to celebrate in the moment, but he said at the moment there's a lot of speculation going on about my future. There is interest from other clubs, but ultimately I still have two years left at West Ham. I love this club. I love playing for this club. There hasn't been nothing yet. My focus is playing for West Ham at the moment. That's not him saying I'm staying, but it's certainly not him not saying that either. Um, like The fact that he even was at uh, pains to point out, I have two years left. Now maybe he's just trying to get the... Bigger money, but uh, trying to get the best deal possible for the club and the uh, the fans are like, yeah, good man, Declan, talking the price back up after Moisey talked the price down. But is there not a universe where Declan Rice stays? I don't think so. Is there? I don't know. I just felt. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into his post-match interview, but because obviously he's hated the moment and all the rest. But he certainly sounded in, in the moment that he wanted to to certainly have a think about it. Uh, little whispers between himself and Moisey after the match as well, waiting for the trophy ceremony and presentation. Um, yeah, so I, I, I still think he's going to leave, probably to Arsenal. But certainly the comments last night caused me a little. Well, if he pause. is on the verge of leaving, it is kind of the sort of thing as well that you know you're soaking in the moment, you're thanking the fans, you're talking about how much the club means to you, how much it has meant for your career, like why it has got you to this place, and then you go off and sign a nice big shiny yeah. contract. Mm. He's playing you like a fiddle, Shane. Possibly, mm. I fell for it. Um, 
But just, yeah, no. a, just a comment that I want to respond to here. It says, tell that American girl, stick to baseball and other American <laughs> sports. <laughs> I get this comment all the time that I am American. And I would just well, like to say, I used to waitress in a cafe in Sligo and American tour buses would come in and be like, oh, how long have you been living in Ireland? Oh, it's just, it's just a Sligo twang. That's it. Because you're close to America over in Sligo. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Last stop. I blame it for all my family being from the north and I have a weird Sligo northern triangle. But I've actually never even been to America. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine, imagine how the, the homecoming that you'll feel when you get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's my, these are my people. Well, it was funny because whenever I was on ESPN, the Americans used to, they'd be like, oh, it's Kathleen McNamee from Ireland. Oh, yeah. We can't understand her, so we put some subtitles down for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, quick run through some of the headlines because there's lots of stories that we just want to talk about. Uh, McElroy, I feel like a sacrificial lamb. Hollywood star insists he hates live golf but says Saudi money will be good for the game. I mean, he didn't really say that the Saudi money will be good for the game so much as say that uh, we've got no choice now but to take this because they have too much money for us. Um, I was curious how you'd feel about his comments after what you said yesterday morning. Um, I I think that he was still pissed off and he was right to be pissed off. But I still think that he did the right thing by not taking the money. Like for the rest, he, he, he wants to be on the right side of history. He's going to be on the right side of history. People are going to rem- remember that he was the one person well in fairness him and Tiger so he had massive support from the biggest name in mm. golf history um, and uh, it felt like uh, it, we, he didn't broker the deal for a start he's got basically no choice now but to go with it and he was making the point like it, there, there won't be a live tour anymore there, there, it doesn't sound like it's going to be that 54 hole nonsense I thought that was getting into pedantic so when he was like it's different it's PIF, it's not live like. Yeah, Jim Monaghan will be their boss, kind of stuff. Like, like they bought an entire sport in the space of like a year, year and a half, and he was like, "Oh well, the PGA is going to be taking over this, and that that's the thing that matters." But at the end of the day, if it took them a year to get this far, <laughs> like when you how the- long is the PGA actually going to be in control? Well, I I don't know how much more Saudi Arabia needs now. They've got what they need, right? There's going to be like there's going to be a load of tournaments in Saudi Arabia. There's going to be a Saudi Arabian swing, the way there is a California swing and a Florida swing and a European swing, and uh, those are the world's, world's best golfers. I presume all the live golfers will all show up to that. So the ranking points will be absolutely massive. Like um, I, I think the whole like I, I don't know about the pedantic. Maybe he needs to defend himself, but um, like. I kind of feel like Roy McIlroy has emerged from this with his reputation further enhanced. I think everyone was sitting waiting on McIlroy to to go really, really in hard in his press conference yesterday. And when you when you started to see some of the the quotes, did you, know, you watch like, it though? Because yeah, I watched yeah. it. I was like, this is maybe not as far as I expected him to go. Maybe he I just saw had time more to people about disappointed it. about what he had said than people congratulated him like acknowledging what he said before but I really thought that he was getting into it almost sounded like he was trying to convince himself in the press conference to a certain extent and I thought he was getting into the pedantics and yeah I don't know I just I was a little let down by it Mm. so what did you expect? I suppose what, what I was thinking when I was watching it was that he was switching between being like brutally honest in that he was saying, you know, well, they're going to buy up everything anyways. So why not? Like better to be with your enemy than against them. And then he would also go to like trying to explain it away by going into the PIF versus live versus 
PGA, PGA definitions of things. And I don't think you can sit back and... I know you say that Saudi have what they want or the PIF have what they want now because they're going to have the events and they're going to be exclusively part of the tour. But I don't think that you can necessarily write off that they won't want more in the future. Actually, there was um, interesting comments from Frank Warren this morning in one of the papers saying that like heavyweight boxing was being destroyed by Saudi money because no one was taking fights because they were all waiting for the big money to roll in and so everyone was like he's talking about trying to get Usyk uh, Fury off the ground yeah. and like admittedly I'm sure there's plenty more stuff going on there but I just thought it was interesting as someone who for so long had you know been like this is great for the sport it could, it could like, to it. this idea that how these uh, live breakaway players come back in and merge into this new system like could he have not leaned into that and said well they shouldn't be allowed back into this like but you're right, what, what, I wonder like uh, uh, like that doesn't make any sense. But like, do you, you want him to say something that doesn't make any sense? They should be punished. Like, should they not be punished? Punished for what? For for going off they and know, taking they Saudi know, money. They, they, they agreed they, that that was involved in that. But the people that they work for just bought the uh, giant chunk of the PGA Tour. Yeah, How are they going to be punished? But, and then McIlroy's turned around and saying Jay Monahan is now their boss, and it all, but sure, the the, the head he, of the he, public investment fund is the is the leader here. He's he's oh, well. Uh, I, I, we have to wait and see exactly what the makeup of the, the shareholding of the company that ha- has control is. So, I haven't seen the, the breakdown of that. Um, but like this is this is just a, the first step. We're all like, okay. So when you see the Saudis taking over Newcastle, that's one thing. The, you see the, the Saudi Grand Prix in Formula One, that's another thing. But this this is the Saudis taking over a sport, getting their tentacles in, getting the foot in the door with Live, and now they essentially own golf. So. How many sports will they take over? Like, is football next? Like, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, are we going to be saying, right, the Saudis run the Premier League? Like, is Newcastle just the first step? Uh, probably. Like, what do you want Rory McIlroy to do with that, though, is my point. I don't know. I ju- it just felt yesterday that he was... He, maybe it's just that he felt he looked like a defeated man. And as Kathleen said, I feel like he was trying, during the press conference, to convince himself of the positive side to this. Because he was coming out with those negative comments as well, and saying I, st- I still hate live, and this is not live, um, and and you know I feel like a sacrificial lamb, and look, I only found out not long before everyone else found out. So he was saying the negative things, but he just felt a little bit defeated. Well, he was defeated. The, his side, the, the stand that he took, got beaten. Like, uh, and he came out in a press conference yesterday and spoke about that and how he he'd been a sacrificial lamb. Like. I don't know how much more we expect from McElroy in in these circumstances. That's that'd be that was what I t- thought of, took from it. Um, well, all the golfers are going to, I guess, financially uh, benefit from from this from the live guys coming back in, including Rory McElroy. So I'm sure there's an element of that as well. Yeah, and the, the tournaments will get better. Like again, golf is unified again, and uh, all it took was a year and uh, about a billion, two billion. That's all. Maybe maybe four billion. Yeah, I don't. It just it all feels a bit like, um, do you know, if the Super League came back into football, and it, the Super League is coming back into football, yeah, hundred percent. And if and if that comes back in, and the the whole arguments against it, and Juventus drop out of it the other day, they said that they're not going to be involved in it anymore. Uh, that might have been the current form of it, but it's never going away. There's always oh, going to yeah. be something in the background, somebody trying to get it off the um, up and running. 
the other thing here in the back page, so the Irish Independent had this, but it's also it's a Telegraph story. IRFU in talks with RFU over plan to save London Irish. So uh, we've been banging on about this for years. Um, but apparently it seems as if both the IRFU and the Rugby Football Union have confirmed that talks have taken place, although for now it remains at a hypothetical stage with the IRFU diplomatically saying it had no plans currently to invest in rugby outside of Ireland. The discussions have been limited to preliminary soundings given the strong bond and relationship between the two unions and the complexities involved if the IRFU was to consider some involvement in what would be a Phoenix club after London Irish on Tuesday was forced to file for administration. So it won't be the same London Irish. Um, it'll be a different London Irish, which means I don't know if they would have a stake in the Premiership or if it would suddenly become a second-tier club. Uh, I don't know if that's... The that talk at the moment is a second-tier club alongside the other two and some other clubs that would come in that I saw. Uh, sorry, a second-tier but Premiership club. So there would be like a Premier 2 and that would include Wasp, Worcester, um, London Irish and then add some more clubs into that. Maybe some that are like semi-professional and stuff okay, as well. With the possibility of promotion? Yeah. Okay. So like it, it's still very like early stages of what it would actually look like but that is what some one of the ideas that the RFU have floated for potential for those clubs. Yeah, like maybe it's too late then. You know, the thing to do is to get in while it was still a premiership club and um, and just run it properly and stop overspending. But um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on. Yeah, I'll tell you what's coming up actually between now and uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Um, so Taggy Fogarty's going to join us in just a moment because we didn't preview properly the game between Galway and Kilkenny. Hugh O'Sullivan, uh, London Irish scrum half at 8.30. Sports pages at 8.45 with John Duggan. Andy Friend, the former Connacht coach now, uh, traversing Europe on his holidays Andy McEntee is going to join us in the studio to talk to us about his first experience in the Talton Cup and uh, James O'Connor and Joe Quaid were on last night uh, reminiscing about the all-time greats um, that were the 90s games between Limerick and Clare ahead of the game this weekend it is 7.59 if you want to get in touch with us you can always text us 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now Right, it's a minute past eight. It's time for us to preview the Kilkenny Galway game in some detail. I'm delighted to say Taggy Fogarty is with us. Aidan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, Galway are favourites for this, uh, and Galway are a shorter price to win the All Ireland than Kilkenny. Is that just on the basis of the injuries that Kilkenny have at the moment? Do you think? Yeah, I imagine so, Jerry. Yeah. Um, no, three big players for Kilkenny. Adrian Mullen, I'd say, is definitely out. Uh, he's a huge player for Kilkenny. He's a he's a massive cog in that wheel. Uh, Mikey Butler, there's doubts, but I'd say he's play. Richard Reid will be back. Deegan as well. He had a kind of a concussion the last day, so there, there's a lot of injuries um, coming into this game from Kenny. A lot of doubts over people's heads, but I'd say mainly AJ uh, Mullen. I'd say is the big one, and probably the factor that maybe Wexford beat them in Wexford Park as well. Um, you know, the first game that Kenny were kind of put up to uh, and <laughs> came out losing it. But uh, I felt actually Kenny was actually Kenny's one of their best games of, of the year uh, in terms of learning about the team uh, and performance-wise. So, what have you seen from Kilkenny? Like, um, I, it, sometimes we don't learn enough from these matches and, and ultimately we end up going, oh, actually there's been a trend that has developed from the league into the uh, the round-robin that re-emerges in, in either a semi-final or a final in Kilkenny's case if they, if they win on um, Sunday. So, what are you seeing from... Derek Ling, that's slightly different from the the Cody era. Yeah, it's it's such a difficult one. Um, 
it's so hard to know how Kilkenny are actually going um, because of the teams that have been playing and that's no disrespect to any of the teams look the, the Leinster Championship has been a bit of a damn squid towards the Munster Championship we're playing uh, Antrim which would be expected to, be, to win uh, we're playing Westmead which would be expected to win playing Dublin which would be expected to win um, you know so these games that we're playing we're not really being tested and as far as I can see Kilkenny are going solid but very unspectacular if that makes sense um, you know they're just they're playing they're playing who's in front of them they're getting over the line and they're getting the job done and uh, look I, I think from a Kilkenny's perspective and from a Gobby's perspective in Leinster they don't have to be going 100% uh, in the Leinster Championship the the view was that they'd be in a Leinster final uh, at the beginning of this uh, championship started and they are in a Leinster final without being, as I said already, kind of spectacular, without having to be on peak performance. And that maybe will suit them going into the All-Ireland series. Um, so so we really don't know what way they're going. As far as kind of what you could see and, and what way Derek has put his stamp on the tee, he's definitely... Um, he's definitely started to make the boys use the ball a little bit better and uh, they're using it they're going a little bit short they're, they're mixing the short and the long but they're definitely more comfortable playing that short game and getting guys on the ball getting guys into the better position and delivering that ball into the square they're playing kind of a two-man full forward line which most people uh, most teams do pulling out a, a third uh, around the middle of the field for that uh, famous middle third uh, where, the, where the match is won and lost um, so nothing spectacularly has changed. It's just they are a bit more comfortable on the ball. They're more confident playing it through the lines and they're making that run off the shoulder, which is vital. Uh, but in terms of actually how they're going, they're kind of an unknown entity, uh, really. You know, you're kind of basing a lot of the Leinster final maybe on last year and in terms of knockout because the Leinster Championship now, the Leinster final, it's huge um, because you have a four-week break if you win it and if you lose, the likelihood is... You're going to be playing a Tipperary team who most likely will beat Offaly. So nobody wants to do that. Um, you want to avoid injuries. As I said, we have injuries coming in already. So you want to get them right. So in terms of winning this Leinster final, I think it's massive for Kilkenny. Can you read anything, Taggy, into the uh, the drawn game between Kilkenny and Galway at Nolan Park at the end of April? Like, I know Kilkenny had the what five-point cushion with about 12, 13 minutes left. So it wasn't really a case of taking the foot off the pedal, but Galway seemed to be that, to be that team that, that really clawed teams back. We saw it against Dublin the last day as well. So maybe finishing the game strong will be a focus of Ling this, this week. Yeah, look, finishing the game strong. I think maybe on the flip side of that, um, Shane, I think Galway always um, seemed to be getting a poor start. And I think that's something that Henry Sheffin will be um, really, really looking at. You know, they were down against um, Wexford. They were down six points against Dublin, clawed it back to a draw. They were down um, against Kilkenny as well. And, and drew it back uh, um, and got a draw as well. So I'd be maybe concentrating more on a Galway's perspective there in terms of their slow starts to championships, to the championship games because I think in the bigger games and I think more in championship games, it'll be harder to get back them uh, the, them big leads. And, and, you know, it's it'll come a stage where they won't be able to get them back. Um, so I do feel that a, a big start uh, for Galway is needed uh, and Henry will be looking at that side of things. From McIlkenny's point of view, I think one thing that has come to, to shore maybe is um, is goals being conceded by Kilkenny. Uh, Antrim scored three twenty uh, above in uh, above in Antrim, which was a massive score against Kilkenny. And uh, obviously uh, the the Helter Skelter game we had down below in Wexford Park it was just crazy. Um, you know, Wexford scored five goals that day. So I think Derek will be looking at shoring up ship at the back. I think they need to be tighter. I think to be more aggressive. I think they need to play more as a unit because that long ball to the square seems to be some sort of a threat. And now Hugh Lawler, for me, is one of the best full-backs in, in, in Ireland. 
So he needs to, the rest of the guys need to just filter back when that ball has gone in there and swarm out and kill any kind of threat of goals. So in, in, in that point of view, I think that's what something Derek will be looking at. And, and, on, the, and on the flip side, um, people were giving out, but we kind of not scoring goals. But we seem to be kind of getting a few now. You know, on Cody rattled in three the last day. Tom Feeling is a bit of a fine. He's playing wing four, scored one four as well. He, he's kind of lanky and he's kind of, you know, he's rangy and he's, um, he, he's direct. So I think that's why he's in there. Um, because Kenny's forward line may be lacking a small bit of pace. They're big, they're strong, you know, Mossy Kion, Oko, these guys will throw you out of the way. But in terms of getting the ball, turning your defender, going straight for a goal, getting away from the defender and drawing another defender, you know, Kenny haven't got too many of those and that's how goals are created in my view. If you're Henry Shefflin, Taggy, how are you coping with Owen Cody? Like you saw the form, you mentioned the form he's been in in recent games. Like he's a man that uh, he obviously knows very well from Bally Hill. So, uh, what do you do with Owen Cody? Yeah, it, it is a tricky one, I suppose. Look, they'll have McInerney in full back. Um, he probably most likely pick up TJ Reid. Now, if I was if I was Derek, I might put TJ Reid out to the corner and, and just mix things up a small bit. But look, you just have to man mark him. Greenish should probably be maybe um, corner back. Just put a man, stick a man to him. But it's the delivery of the ball, uh, Shane. In my in my view, if if the delivery of the ball is is quality and it's getting that little bounce into the into the hand, you see the quality of the delivery of the ball from the Limerick. And I'm only picking Limerick because they're All Ireland champions. It's it's a nearly a perfect ball. It's so hard to defend to. So it's out the field, and I feel where that's that's where games are won. It's out the field. It's that hard battle. It's that kind of you know fighting for that tough tough ball, putting guys under pressure, not get not letting them put the head up. And put that perfect ball into because if Owen Cody gets that perfect ball, it's unmarkable. There's not a whole lot you can do. But Henry, for me, I think could be looking at this sense of final really in terms of consistency. Um, the big thing about Galway, and I've been on the show before talking about Galway and their flaws and their failings and what's good and bad about them. I still think there's a big inconsistency in the Galway team for whatever reason. Um, you know, and I think Henry was going up trying to get that out of him. Look, they turned up against a, a Galway, or sorry, against Dublin. Uh, a perfect game for them to get ready for a Leinster final. And they were so bad in that first half. You know, there was just lack of intensity. There was no drive. Now they pulled it back and got a draw. But that's not going to be good enough going forward. So I think the big thing for Henry is the worry of, is this Galway team going to actually turn up or are they going to be flat? Or what way is it going to be? And you know, that's the big worry for Henry, I feel. When you were playing against them, there were... Countless times within the same championship where they'd hammer you, and then you'd beat them in the game that ultimately would decide whether or not the season was good. Could you tell on the day how quickly into a match could you tell? Uh oh, or ah, this is handy today. What was the what was that like? Yeah, it, it, it's strange. Um, I think there was two maybe factors to that. I think fifteen minutes in, there's more about us, um, Jerry, really about how we were going and the intensity we were bringing. And, you know, I suppose always kind of winning ball, winning the hard graft and getting into the forward line. And the second thing, I suppose, is the, the Croke Park factor. Um, I think, Kenny, back in the day, now you asked me about back when I was playing, I think we prepared so well in training and it was just the training we had and it was just the team and the panel we had. We were just so focused and we were just so ready for matches in Croke Park. But I think Croke Park actually takes away from atmosphere and Galway seemed to play better when the crowd kind of feed into it. It's like Wexford. I believe Wexford play like the, like a 16th man down below in Wexford Park when the crowd get in around them, their tails are up, you know, they're baining for blood. You know, every point scored is a massive cheer. I think that's massively missing 
um, in Croke Park when you have 25, 30,000 maybe there on Sunday. And Galway, I think, find it hard to feed off that when there's kind of maybe a clap or two. And Galway tend to drive wides that are poor out the field. And that sucks the energy out of a team and out of a crowd and out of a game. And at the time, I think maybe Kilkenny were a little more, more clinical. You know, we were putting more to Barber. We were just confident in our own ability. And that, that that's when I felt maybe that we had Galway. But on the flip side then, that, that like when Galway came out and they were ready, and, you know, maybe when their backs were against the wall, there was no safety net, that's the when you knew you'd have a game against Galway. And, you know, when they were kind of, when they were really hitting off yet, maybe even off the ball, you know, they were angry. You know, that's when you knew, right, well, this Galway team is up for today. I remember in the build-up to last year's Leinster final, Taggy, Niall Moore and the former Limerick hurler saying neither Kilkenny or Galway were, were all Ireland contenders. Um, he proved to be to be right ultimately. Is it different this year? Like, Would you expect Galway and Kilkenny to, to be in with the reckoning realistically? I do, guys, yeah. I, like As I kind of mentioned already, it, it's so hard to kind of um, put where Galway are at, where Kilkenny are actually at in terms of knockout championship. You look at the Munster Championship, you look at the Munster Final, Clare and Limerick, we pretty much know what we're going to get there in the Munster Final. We pretty much know what we're going to get from them two teams. Tipperary gone through as well. We kind of know what we're going to get from Tipperary with Liam Cal when they turn up on the day. But in the Leinster Championship, we don't really know because of the quality of the teams that are in Leinster and the teams that Kilkenny and Galway have been playing. They didn't have to be 100%. But if you look over the years, Shane, if you look at um, you know, past tenses, Galway and Kilkenny tend to do well in the Ireland series. You know, they do raise their game. I think uh, training is up an awful lot after a Leinster Championship or coming up to a Leinster Championship at least because it's coming to that site stage of the Championship. I think mentality-wise, I think focus-wise, I think, uh, you know, psychology-wise, uh, the whole thing is lifted. And I can guarantee you nobody would want to be playing at Kilkenny or a Galway in an Ireland quarter-final or an Ireland semi-final because we're just hard to beat. And if you win, say if you win a Leinster title, you're into a semi, an Ireland semi-final. And just say from a Kilkenny's perspective, Kilkenny always do very well in, in semi-finals. They're so hard to beat. You've seen it against last year, against uh, against Clare. You know, they wiped Clare. Clare looked very tired. But Kilkenny just knew how to prepare for it. And you're one game away from an Ireland final. And then anything can happen. So in terms of Galway and Kilkenny competing in the Ireland series, I think there's no doubt about it. I think teams won't want to meet them. I think they'll raise their game and they'll play better against the better teams. And they'll play better when it's knockout championship and when their back's against the wall. Does it matter that they've already played and drawn? Is there stuff that will be... That you, after this game on Sunday, we'll draw a straight line from the first game to the second game and go, oh, well, that pattern emerged in the first game and uh, Kilkenny or Galway couldn't interrupt it and that's what swung it. Or is this just a total one-off game where nothing is relevant? I think, like really, I was at that game in Nolan Park at the beginning, um, or sorry, in the middle of the championship, and like it really was shadow boxing. I felt um, there was a small bit of intensity to it. The only thing is, and we've mentioned it already, is maybe the comeback from Galway that Derek will have learned from that and will have warned that you can't take your foot off the pedal because Galway will come at you. And when Galway come at you, they're, they're, well, like any team, when, when any team comes at you, it's so hard to uh, put them on the back foot or, or win a free and. I think maybe individually wise, you know, Evan Island ran riot um, that day and, and Concanon as well. Um, so I think maybe they'll be more kind of focused on players and I suppose matchups and uh, nullifying um, impact of, of players on the day. And I think maybe watching one or two forwards for Galway uh, will be very important for Derek. And I suppose in terms of 
in terms of Galway and I suppose their inconsistency as well, um, it's it's usually the, the the older stock for Galway, the Garold McInerney's, you know, the the, the Burks, um, um, you know, the P Mannions, these guys. When these lads aren't playing, it's the newer kids on the block that maybe haven't pushed on in terms of their self um, development. Um, you know, maybe the likes of uh, Monaghan, Tom Monaghan there, like he was he was brilliant um, in in some games, but really for me, he hasn't pushed on. So. I think the, the dory for Galway is the new guys and, and what they're going to bring to it. Um, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a different type of game. Um, that means than what we've seen all year long. I think definitely Chatterbox in, in Northern Park, and I don't think too many the, the two managers haven't learned a whole lot about each other. How important is is discipline, Taggy? Because you mentioned Nyland and his accuracy from freeze is is quite remarkable. Similarly, TJ obviously. Um, but how do you find that balance between not conceding too many frees because you know it can be the difference in the end, but also bringing that little bit of physicality and aggression because it's a delicate tightrope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, like I think it's controlled aggression. Um, you have to, well, for me, you have to play on the edge. You know, people are giving about Limerick and things. I nearly admire him for playing on the edge. I admire him for you know really putting in them tough tackles. Um, but it is a balancing act and you have to be so careful and it probably comes from the training ground in terms of, you know, it, it really is your mind. You, you can't be lazy and it's about honesty and it's about, you talk about honesty about guys making runs, but it's honesty in the tackle as well. It's honesty of not being lazy in the tackle, not showing the arm in, not coming in late, being very disciplined and, and, and that's hard work, you know, and, and that's part of the game and it's part of the game that maybe we forget that, you're, oh, you're just tackling. Tackling, you have to be so disciplined that now these days because you'll just be caught for it. And anything high and anything to the head is just going to be called. So yeah, like it really is, it is control aggression, but it's a fine line because if you if you if you back down slightly or if you drop off slightly, well then there's your intensity gone, and you know you're not getting the best out of your players. So you have to play on the edge, and you're going to have to, um, you know, you're going to have to shunt up a few frees. Yeah, that that's going to happen in the game, and when it's in the heart of the championship. You want to set down markers in the first 10-15 minutes, you have to hit and hit hard, but hit fairly. Um, uh, Henry's obviously moved McInerney to fullback and, and Burke to centre-back. Is this working, do you think? And are you surprised that they've done that? Or is that kind of just a somebody out from outside coming in and seeing, oh, there's an obvious solution to our problems here. Let's try this and see how it goes. There could be a couple of factors there. Joe. I, was, I was thinking about that. And I don't know whether it was Henry just putting his own stamp on the game. Um, by all accounts, uh, Dahi Burke prefers playing out centre centre back. Um, you know, just, just talking to a few Galway guys, he prefers that position. Um, for me, I would have left as was, because I think Dottie Burke is one of the best full backs in the country. Um, perhaps they weren't putting the ball, teams were, were, were avoiding Dottie Burke in terms of not putting the ball into that full forward line, that little square, because Dottie just controls that so well. He's brilliant in the air. He's brilliant as maybe the dark arts of playing, playing the man and getting the ball, kind of like a JJ Delaney-esque. Um, you know, left hand on top and, and winning many balls. So maybe the thinking was get Dahi Burke out towards maybe the, the centre back to get him in the game more, to get him on ball more. He's a great striker the ball. He's a leader. You know, we saw him grab a ball there during the year. Um, I think it was, it was um it was in Galway to to to, to, to under pressure anyway, and he just grabbed that ball and, and led from the front, put it over the bar. You know, that's real leadership. And I suppose McInerney is brilliant in the air, so I suppose high balls to the, to the, to the square, McInerney will still deal with him, but in my view, I, I'd still have him as well, so maybe it's just Henry putting that stamp, uh, his own authority on on, um, on this Galway team, but 
for me, I would have stuck. I would have stuck with them as it was because I couldn't see anything wrong there. But maybe they just want to work in the game more and more kind of influence on the game. And uh, McInerney, obviously, it's a different, totally different challenge. Um, particularly against maybe maybe it's particularly different against Kilkenny, or maybe it'll be the nippier, faster forwards they meet later in the championship um, with the pace that you were talking about earlier on. Uh, it hasn't. They haven't suffered for it yet. Is there any possibility that that might be? A square peg in a round hole. Well, possibly, exactly, yeah. Like you know, the, the, the days of the high balls going to the square—that's more so when a team is under pressure. We, we've seen it. We've seen it with Wexford. We've seen it with Dublin. Like when you're under pressure, you just hit that ball to the, to the square, and you're looking for a goal. But then you come up to the likes of maybe the cuter teams, the likes of the Clares, the likes of you know the Tips. They will drag you left and right, and you know it's a two-man for forward line. Usually, they'll be putting that ball into the pocket of the space rather to down centre on McInerney so I feel you know has McInerney got the legs to read that as I said already if the ball is perfect there's nothing you can do but you know I think Dahi Burke just dictates it way better but I think they just have him out the field to, to, to kind of influence the game a little bit more McInerney great in the air but I'm not so sure about the speed wise and you're going to be coming up against lethal forwards even Kilkenny look they could leave Owen Cody and Mossy Keown in there two big strong men they could have TJ kind of roaming around because you know TJ needs to be in the game a little bit more. Um, I think he's the more games TJ is getting, the better he's getting. But he's still not at his best. How important is the in-game management, Taggy? Because both sets of managers have a, a decent uh, bench to pick from in terms of strength and depth. But like I even think back to the Galway game against Wexford. I think it was earlier in the the league, and you know Sheffield brings Concanon off the bench, changes the game completely. Ronan Murphy comes off the bench as well, Salmon as well. Um, so the in-game management is going to be crucial so in many regards it comes into the last 15-20 minutes it's who gets that right yeah it, it, it's massive um, I think you know it, it's all about the bench now um, and I think maybe if it, even if you look at Limerick I know we're talking about Galway but if, it, if it, I keep going back to Limerick but you know I think that's maybe one of Limerick's failings this year is how they're finishing out games and how that's maybe why teams are staying really close to them is because you know, the Casey's and, um, you know, these guys are coming off, but they're not doing as much damage as they were. So you, you need guys coming off the bench to make an impact. And it, it's huge to get that right in terms of who, who you're going to take off the bench. You can have a, have a very strong bench in terms of um, leadership and in terms of experience. You know, you have Walter Welch, you know, Parig Welch, these guys coming on, they know how to finish out games. Galway, like, I don't know whether they have the strong bench you know, to come on and make a difference. It, it's a real young lad. The, the Bahan, um, I think it was, was it Monaghan? No, it was, it was, was it, 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 it came on against the Kenny, got that final pint. You know, they need guys like that to come off to, to make an impact uh, on the day. And it's huge to see out a game because it is a 20-man panel. It is a 20-man game now. And the way the game has gone, it's so intense, it's so ferocious. You need fresh legs, but you need guys to come off and make that difference. Was it McLaughlin came off the bench? McLaughlin, that's, yeah. that's it, McLaughlin, yeah. Uh, he, came on, he actually came on for Conor Whelan. I did want to ask about Conor Whelan, um, uh, you know, uh, inside forwards union here, but Conor Whelan's 26. He's already been, you know, one of the most heavily regarded forwards in the game. Is it just that teams are planning for him and so therefore he's still hugely functional and important to what's happening with Galway? Because he's not quite scoring at the level with the heavy scoring that we thought that somebody of his talent might be able to do at this stage. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe two factors going on here, Joe. I think that the delivery to Conor Whelan has been very poor. I think Galway are a small bit lethargic and a small bit slow, giving in that ball. And they're going for scores out the field 
which are probably, you know, a 70-30 shot at goal and they're kind of driving them wide. And as I talked about already, taking the energy out of that Galway team. I think Galway just needs to be really clinical in terms of getting that ball to the delivery zone of the wing-back line and looking up and giving in to Conor Whelan. Conor Whelan has been starved of possession. I'd love to know his possession stats in terms of the, the ball being delivered and, and then what he's actually getting. And then the follow-on factor from that is as a player... If you're not getting on the score sheet, if you're not getting ball, well, you're kind of thinking, well, is it is it me? Am I playing bad? Uh, am I off form? You know, I was taken off against uh, Kilkenny in big games. Um, but I just think that the way Galway are playing are not playing to the attributes of Conor Whelan because you need to be feeling, feeding that guy as much ball as you can. You could imagine, you know, the, the, the likes of an Aaron Galan not getting ball like it's criminal like to have someone in there and to be so effective and be so good and Conor Whelan plays with a little bit of confidence he plays when he's on the ball his tail is up that's when he's really hard to mark but he's not getting enough ball the delivery from the Galway out the field players is just not good enough in my opinion Okay so you don't hold him responsible for the level of performance we've seen so far I don't. I, I actually hold kind of the delivery of the ball and the way Galway are setting up and taking these shot, pop shots from out the field, you know. And and that's great when they go over. Don't get me wrong. And they need to be doing it because maybe it's been it's been shored up out the field that they need to take these shots from the wing back line and the, and the midfielders. But I still feel that it's not Conor Whelan's fault that he's maybe not playing to his potential. It's more the delivery going into him and the, the amount of ball going into that full forward line of Galway. I seen it against Kenny. They weren't putting that ball into the full forward lane until the second half, and that's when they started the motor. Okay. As we said at the start of this, Galway are slight favourites. Do you make them slight favourites? I don't really. I think... I'm not sure how Galway take this Leinster final. I'm not sure how a Leinster final um, is up there in terms of silverware for Galway. No, there's a bit of tradition in Kilkenny, in Wexford, in Offaly about winning a Leinster title... I think there's a bit more kick in Kilkenny that they really want to win this Leinster title. The only thing will be for Galway is that going through the front door, I think it's very important. I think for Henry Shefflin, I think for this Galway team, it's important that they pick up a bit of silverware. I think they're maybe a small bit under a bit more pressure than Kilkenny. So maybe that's why they're slightly favourites going in. But I think Kilkenny, um, you know, if they turn up, if uh, Adrian Mullen is probably going to be out, but I still they're a very good team. And I suppose it's if Galway turn up, it's the inconsistency of if they show up, they can beat anyone and if they don't show up well they can be flat lethargic and the whole thing can be a damn squid Alright we'll see what happens Aidan good stuff thanks for joining us cheers Thanks guys It's a taggy fogarty there we managed to get through the whole thing there Shane Yeah we did Well done We're about saying taggarty Yeah Yeah someone in the comments that I knew was going to say it but they haven't said it yet I, I think I called taggy taggarty three times the last time he was on like <clears throat> and obviously I know taggy I've been on air with him many many times just that day whatever it was I think it was Johnny Ward beside me possibly Oh yeah so I was distracted um, but yeah Taggarty uh, yeah, he, he seemed to enjoy it I think it's not a bad name there you go you know, think of Tiger the detective well, it could be like Beyonce just have one name from now on yeah 100% OTBAM live with Gillette Labs got the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition is available now uh, right let's turn our attention to rugby Hugh O'Sullivan is with us who until very recently was a London Irish player Hugh good morning to you how are you hey Jerry good thanks for having me Um so you've you've signed for Newcastle. So like that period of your career and uncertainty is is over, and um, we're delighted for you that you've got something to look forward to. But it must have been incredibly uncertain over the last six months. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I was like, as you mentioned, I was one of the very very lucky ones. Really, I knew that I was 
I knew that I was going to be leaving the London Irish before sort of before all of the stuff really started coming into a head. So I suppose um, it all it all sort of kicked off really like we got, when we got paid late last month, and that's around the time I, when I signed with Newcastle. So I've I've comparatively and maybe compared to my teammates and all the staff at London Irish, I have been probably nowhere near as worried really because I, I knew that I could be changing clubs come uh, in July. Like so. Uh, yeah, it's it's really been it's been a whirlwind, like, and the last couple of days really is just a bit bit more like fe- feeling bad, the, the bit of the sadness for the, for the club as a whole. Um, obviously the, the teammates that I know quite well, but the, like outside of that, there's like a huge amount of staff there as well, and a big and a bit haven't been there for two years. Like you sort of you feel part of the community over there. Um, yeah, so it's 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 all, all happened very quickly, I suppose, over the last few days, but it, it has felt a bit inevitable, I suppose, like. Initially, initially, when you when we were told about these American investors coming in, like it's all very promising, but like um, it sort of became clear, I suppose, over, uh, as the weeks went by and as things were changing that much, and like the, none of these evidence of funds that were were being promised came true. Um, I suppose like it it didn't feel very promising at that point. I suppose, and I think then we, I'm not sure how, how much you're aware, but we we got a week's extension on the RFU deadline last week. Um, when the current owner McCross and he came in and paid half our wages to sort of give an extension to the to the process to try and get the deal, deal done, but um, like from the ORFU side and at least what they told us on their end, um, the ORFU and PRL basically said like the deal wasn't nowhere near, really like they hadn't got anywhere near as, mu- as much information as they would have needed to to push the deal through. So um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a tough few weeks for sure. Can you take us back to the bit where you signed for London Irish? Um, why did you end up signing for them first off, and what was that like? Uh, yeah, so I, I came up to the Leinster Academy. I was in the Leinster Academy for two years, and then at Leinster Senior Squad for two years, and then I um, just sort of like needed a change as well. And there was there was there was no space for me at Leinster, so um, it was the best thing I ever did. Really, like I absolutely enjoyed my time at Leinster. Um, it was an unbelievable experience there. Some some great coaches there. It was you Lancaster and Leo, but uh, it was just really what I needed to get to go abroad, to change the scenery. Um, and to try hopefully get more game time as well, which I I did end up getting in London Irish. Um, not that not that big a change, like only across the water really. Um but yeah, like I've, i suppose like I re- really fell in love with the club. It's it's honestly a great club. But obviously the, the London Irish the, the Irish connection is there and it's very tangible, I suppose. Like there's there's when I when I went there for the first year, Sean O'Brien was still playing there. Um like Paddy Jackson is there. A lot of guys over there have uh would be Irish qualified as well, even though they're English born with because they, as they've Irish parents. Um, and even through the amateur club over there, like there's a huge Irish connection. So, um, yeah, and it was just great to experience, I suppose, uh, like the 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 Premiership over there. It's it's a, it's a different animal in the sense that like it's so competitive week on week, uh, and we were very like we were very much like a mid-table team, I suppose, when we got over there trying to push up to the, to get into the top four. So every week was massive for us. Um, yeah, so that's that was, it. Was a great, it's a great league, really. And it was it a straightforward decision? Did you did you have other options at the time, or were were they the ones who were best kind of plugged into the Leinster network and understood? Hey, this guy's ready to come join us. Uh, yeah, well, Declan Kidney was there at the time, obviously, um, and and still is, and Les Kiss was there, so he obviously would have known Leo. Um, but yeah, look, it was like it's another Premiership club. So in terms of the other options, there were like there would have been. I had no firm offers from elsewhere, but like it's it's not. A, it was it was a pretty good option in terms of going to the the, high, the highest league in England. So uh, I was pretty happy to go with it. Again, like it's you're still sort of within the shop window, and that it's not as if you're going down to Australia and New Zealand, where like the potential would be that if you go if you go well enough over in the UK, that you might get a shot back in Ireland. Um, but yeah, it was like again the 
I mentioned the quality of the league and, and, and the players over there. So it was, and sometimes you can be sort of oblivious to that when you're in the Irish system. It's all about like the, the four provinces and like and, and the Irish team as it, as it, as, it, as it should be really. But uh, like the the depth and the quality over over in the English clubs is is, uh, is something that's I suppose it's there as well. And it was only really realised that when I went over there. And the competitiveness as well, <clears throat> Hugh, of the of the Premiership versus the URC. Like it, it, I know you, you've spoken before, but the, the jeopardy of the Premiership. It seems to be week to week. Always competitive. I, I don't know if you had a, a difference in opinion on how the URC compares. Yeah, I suppose um, it, it's it's changed a small bit since I left Leinster, and that I think the the South African teams coming into the URC has one hundred percent helped the situation there. Um, you've also seen it like the Stormers being Stormers winning it last year and being in the final again this year. Um, and so I say teams during the season in the URC feel a lot more pressure um, to get results week on week, and then. It's also given the fact that in the club that I was like when I was with Leinster, like a lot of the time like we were winning week on week on week, um, and it, like a lot of the time when I got a, when I got chances to play, like that we were we were already top of the table by ten points, and like it was there was a good chance we were going to win the game anyway. So I suppose it was a bit circumstantial on my point of view, um, in terms of I didn't really feel that jeopardy week to week when I was when I was playing in the URC, but um, yeah. It, the Premiership 100% like it's from from 10th place or it's, well, it's going to be 10 teams next year now with three teams gone having folded this year but um, whether it's uh, bottom of the league top of the league like there's that ability for like any, any team to turn over any team um, even though like the likes of Saracens Leicester are always there so towards the top four towards the end of the year um, it was it's like we were as, as from Irish point of view like we were very very close to uh we became fifth this year in, in, in the league. We were very, very close to tipping into the to the top four for the first time in, in a long time. Um, yeah, so we're like we were right on the sort of edge of like tipping it up into the top four. So it was really sort of exciting to be in a club where like we were, you were pushing on and trying to and trying to move forward from that point of view. I know Hugh, you're saying the end came quite quickly, but actually it had been a bit of a slow car crash over the last couple of years in terms of there, there were always kind of perpetual rumours about other clubs first and whether or not the contagion yeah. would spread so in in the in the change room on you know a training where people just chatting going is this is everything grand here or was it was it not spoken about at all at any point until close to the end um, I suppose you like obviously Worcester going first and then Was following that um, it was obviously terrible to see but uh, like it, the, the model is a bit different over in, in England as, as it is with the, with the IRFU Um like the clubs are backed by like private investors essentially like and it's not really like the provinces where they're sort of part, a lot, funded massively by the RFU so like we knew that we had the owner Mick Cross and he, he he bought the club in, in 2013 and he, and he'd been there since then um like he 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 had said openly in the press that he was uh, open and willing to sell to sell the club to anyone who's coming to come in and willing to buy it um but like in in saying that he was also he bought the club because he was a fan of London Irish and he was injecting his funds into the club because uh, as he was a fan. Um, and I suppose the, yeah, so he, he, we've been aware that he's lo- looking to sell the club, but he had given no indication that he was willing, that he was like trying to get out of the game completely. Um, so, and to be honest, when it started off, we first got wind of these new American investors or potential American investors, maybe I, the first I heard of it was there maybe just after Christmas time. And like, it's all like, that's completely positive news because you have this uh, potential for this huge injection of funds to America. Yeah. Like that was really positive cl- uh, news for the club. Um, because because you, you, you take what you're told at face value in terms of like, because you, you're told, oh, like the negotiations are ongoing. There's a good chance it's going to go through. Like it's going to happen imminently. But then like that went on for six months and the thing never happened. So um, I suppose it started off being very positive news. And then as the time went on, it slowly turned into like, well, like it didn't happen basically so that's 
Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a sad situation from that, from that point of view, I suppose. Yeah. For the team to finish as high as they did with this happening in the background suggests that you'd uh, great coaches and a real proper team spirit. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I suppose it really came to a head is when we we got paid late last month. We we still had one game left, and that was like we still hadn't been paid. It was maybe the Wednesday or the Thursday of the week, and like there was chats of like certain lads, like certain lads would, wouldn't have played. Uh, maybe weren't going to play that weekend. See that hadn't been paid, but it, we got paid in time. But yet, yeah, generally speaking, um, like the the talent over there is phenomenal. Like the academy is like famous for some of the talent it produces year on year. Um, and some of those guys, like Henry Arnold, is a, a name, and you might be aware of at the moment. Like he's come to the academy. There's guys like Will Joseph as well, loads of young lads, and even guys who are playing senior team at the moment. A huge amount of those have come through the academy. Um, and the, the coach as well, as you mentioned, obviously Declan, Declan as Dio Warren Leeds, but also there's, there's some great, great academy coaches there. Um, in James Lightfoot Brown and Jonathan Fisher, who were uh, instrumental in producing some of that young talent as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, like it, look, it's again, it's 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 weird. It's listen to myself say this sort of stuff because it's all it, essentially it's all gone now because the club has gone to administration. So. It's um, it's 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 very sad, really, the whole situation because all all that potential there, like I, I would have no doubt that the club would have pushed on and like would have challenged for top four next year, um, in the Premiership and gone on to like push things properly in Europe in the Champions Cup. So, um, yeah, again, it's it's I I, I don't really know the next steps of the club. Like I'm not sure. Um, Mick, let us know by email that the, if he's basically putting the club into administration. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means for the for, for the rest of the club, but. We'll see. We'll see in time. I think London Irish celebrate their 125th anniversary this this coming October as well. Hugh, like people often forget, I suppose the the impact it'll have on the fans and also the the staff because behind the scenes you, yeah. you forget about all the people that that work with a with the club. We we see the players and the coaches obviously from at the forefront, but I'm sure there's a lot of people disappointed at the club and gutted. Yeah, um, like as I said at the outset, like I'm very much in the, probably the best position here, given that I know I'm, I'm going to Newcastle and that like I, I don't have. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage to pay. There's all this sort of stuff going on. Like, um, but other guys, like there's older guys in the team who have who who definitely who who have kids to look after, who have mortgages to pay. Um, the staff you mentioned there, like I know one of the coaches, Declan Danaher, his partner is also employed by the club. Jody's a physio. They had a kid three months ago, four months ago, and now they're both left out of a job with a mortgage to pay and a, and a kid to look after. So. Um, like there's there's numerous stories like that. Like it goes beyond just the professional team as well. There's like there'll be community coaches involved in that who who go out and do like community work in the sort of a region around London Irish and where we're based out in South West London. So um, yeah, the, 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 it's just like I'm not sure. There's probably up to like this 50, 60 employees. Maybe I could be I could probably undershoot that to be honest. Probably more. Um, all of all of whom have lost their jobs really. Like so, uh, and it's, it's the sudden nature of it really. Like the that's I suppose that's why the ORF you put in the deadline of of um at the end of the month to give the like to give the players some certainty what they wanted to avoid was us going like starting off middle the next season and then folding two weeks in. So um I suppose that did help us but still it's it's still a massive shock. Um There's a story for all the yeah, yeah it, it's horrific for all those people. It's like <clears throat> this isn't sport for them. That's their their livelihoods. It's totally different. There, there is a story in the um, <clears throat> pardon me in the Telegraph today, which is also carried in the Irish Independent, that the IRFU have had preliminary talks with the Rugby Football Union about getting involved in London Irish. Um, as somebody who's come through the Irish rugby system and understands it intimately, what's your instinct about that? 
yeah, so I, I was listening this morning. I heard I heard you mention that was the, it was the first it was the first I've heard of it. But um, yeah, it, it's something I, I would have thought made sense. Like um, having come across him, and um, the, the one thing I would say, that, or how I would have viewed it initially, was maybe like there being a partnership there, where like because I know there's such a there's such a huge amount of players coming through the academy systems in Ireland, um, and like effectively like there's no there's no room for them in the provinces. Like they can't get sufficient game time. And so what I would have seen as is maybe like some sort of relationship where they send players across to, to play over here. Um, but obviously the, what you what you described there, what's being reported is a bit more substantial than that. Um, but what what I would say is that like, and I, which I've experienced since I went over to London and became part of the club is that like London Irish as an entity of itself is like, it's huge. Um, and from their point of view, like the provinces aren't really like, when you go up in Ireland, you come, you play rugby in Ireland. Like the provinces are huge, but London Irish is their own entity. It's a club. They're fully focused on the on the Premiership. So, um, and I, like I mentioned, the academy sister earlier on. Like, does it, it's it's a huge entity of itself. Like, like you couldn't just like die for you. It wouldn't work in my opinion. Where the IFU just come in and buy it and like take over com- completely the running of it. Like, there's a huge region over there. There's a huge fan base. All the staff. The academy system there has been built up over years, and that, like um, as Shane said earlier on, there's, there's 125 years of history of the club there. So yeah, um, so you can't just wipe that out, and you need to no, no. find a way to accommodate the local fans who are fans of London Irish who might have no connection with Ireland, and also those kids who are coming up and want to play in the Premiership and who have no interest in playing for Ireland because they're English. Yes, because essentially they they understand the Irish connection, but like. The, they're English, like to be blunt about it. Yeah. They might have some. Some of them have English parents, but really they're English. They want to. They want to play with England. Um, when they grow up, like, and they want to play with Irish and then play with England. Yeah. So that's yeah. As you said, there you can't come over and just wipe that out. There has to be some level of uh, of to and fro there. I think. Okay, and one last one for you. Um, has preseason started for Newcastle yet? Are you? Um, starts starts next Monday. Yeah. So I'm right. flying over to London on a on Friday and then driving up. So yeah, for, for, it'll be a long preseason now with the. The World Cup um, sort of extends the or delays the start of the season proper, so it's, it'll be a two-month-long preseason, I think. So, right. yeah. oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's the competition like for a starting berth in Newcastle? Uh, yeah, so there's been a lot of change there this year. Like, there's a new head coach coming in, Alex Codling, and generally amongst the playing group, there's been a lot of change. So, um, yeah, hoping again, like uh, towards the end of the season, I wish I. I did start to play. I played a bit more regularly, got a few starts in, on the bench in the Premiership. So, um, hoping to sort of continue that up in Newcastle. Um, and again, like a team, there are teams probably towards the lower the lower end of the league, but pretty exciting with the new coaches coming in. Alex, um, I knew him from, from when I was younger, and a lot of new players coming in. That, um, yeah, sort of, I'm starting a bit of a new project there. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Wish you the very best of luck, Hugh. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, Jerry. Thank you. It's uh, Hugh O'Sullivan, who uh, latterly was playing for London Irish, who now, of course, unfortunately don't really exist in the same format anymore. It's 8.41 this morning. Don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network. Brings you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals. Open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo. Food. We get it. John Duggan is here. John, good morning to you. Jer and Shane, how are we doing? All good, John. How are things? Good. <clears throat> What an extraordinary 48 hours for golf. <laughs> it's like the Saudis said a few years ago, they went to the PGA Tour and said, look, um, we'd like to play a round of golf at your club and can we have some lunch? And they said, no, no, you, we don't like you. You don't get in. And then a few years later, they come, oh, by the way, we just bought your club. And you can run it, 
but we bought it and we oh we like that guy Rory McIlroy can he play in, in our club in Saudi Arabia and play around with us we'd love to, to play around with, the, with Rory and that's, like, oh, that show Undercover Boss you know that show Undercover Boss where they just come in and watch things like with a little bit of interest and get the tentacles in there and all of a sudden take off the mask like oh by the way I own this joint yes I'm the boss um, there's a bit of a feel of that to it I don't know if you have a take on Rory McIlroy's take well Rory's one of the most compelling sports stars in the world and if you saw the Bryson DeChambeau car crash of an interview uh, you can just see I didn't see Bryson's <laughs> Bryson was I saw a headline they're trying to make the world a better place yeah. they're trying to be better allies we're being better allies with them and our cash uh, and Rory was uh, c- candid uh, he he just he, there's just no filter and it's it's brilliant from a media point of view um how are they going to square this off? Because if the game is going to be unified now, that means, and if it's the same money, then how could you say that Brooks Kepika can't come back in and play? You can't. That's all. That was all angry, reactionary nonsense. They're all playing. Next, so, sorry, maybe not this year, right? Because they're still it'll be next year. But but how then do you square it off? That Phil Mickelson's like a cartoon villain now in his armchair, laughing maniacally uh, that he's won this, that he's won two hundred million quid for what? Yeah. Again, I, it's, a good, it's a good point, right? Did they get that money in one go in cash to their bank, or was that like we're going to give you two hundred million over the next ten yeah, years? I think it's staggered. And so, in in which case, they continue to get the money, but there um, has to be some kind of loyalty square off here because Scotty Scheffler, John Ram, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Victor Hovland, all the top players in the world said no. They've all been played like chumps here. They've all been shafted by their boss. Uh, so there has to be some kind of... And then you got all the regular tour pros and they all uh, t- drank the Kool-Aid of which was... And I actually agree with it. And Rory said it yesterday that, you know, sport is about competition. It's about legacy. It's about growing the game. Um, but if, if they'd only just taken the Saudi investment four years ago, you wouldn't have had this Trojan horse of Liv. I think Liv will be gone uh, next year. I, I can't see, once again, if you were meant to have a, a, an entente cordial between the likes of Brooks Koepka, Rory, and having all the best players playing and having Rory playing in Saudi Arabia... You can't have a this the city format of that that is live. Um, so live will effectively be subsumed, I think, into a team format, a more global hue of the game, and it being legitimised in places like Saudi Arabia. Um, but it's just the money thing just makes me laugh. Like I, I a text from a mate who's been very successful in his in his financial life, and he just says, "Legends, these live lads are legends," because they just gambled and just made a, over a hundred million. In the case of Smith, Kepka, and Nicholson. How do you square that off? Like uh, that's that's because once if you can square that off, then it's well, all sorted, isn't it? I guess the other thing is that maybe those contracts were with Live. They weren't with the um, Saudi investment fund, and so Live will be wound up. And in the contract, there's a break clause, and maybe they don't get all the money. Do you know? There's loads of. I think that we know very few of the actual nuances and the details of what's going to happen next. What we do know is that the bones of a deal are being done and, and worked out. It doesn't feel like they've finished. No. working out like this it's is very early stages very, it's a framework it, agreement like what's going to happen are the Department of Justice and states going to get involved from an antitrust point of view what's the political temperature There's some democratic senators that have already um, expressed their misgivings especially in solidarity with 9-11 families will Donald Trump who uh, has got a very cosy relationship with Saudi Arabia be hosting some of these tournaments um, how would the players feel about that so there's a lot of things to unpick here. Greg Norman himself, what happened? Like uh, the, this year's Ryder Cup is gone, but you can't see Rory McIlroy sharing a, a team room anytime soon with Sergio Garcia. <laughs> it would be tricky. Yeah, I mean, strange, strange things have happened. Well, look, they could hug it out. You know, <laughs> mm. uh, that's a lot of hugging. Are they doing another episode or season of the the Netflix show? They are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're currently filming. Apparently, ah, uh, lads. 
I was reading in the Telegraph today, like on a supplement, um, the man who bought the world, Profile of Mohammed bin Salman, the 37-year-old de facto ruler of the Saudi kingdom. Um, 1.3 trillion is the wealth of the royal family there. Um, we know the public investment fund is a 600 billion fund. They bought Newcastle. Um, they're bringing Ronaldo and Benzema to, to Saudi Arabia. They bought four clubs in Saudi Arabia. They're trying to build a league there. Obviously, Formula One and boxing have gone. They've now bought a sport which is golf. And I've been saying this over the last couple of years on this show. They're trying to have a hostile takeover of a sport and that's exactly what's happened. Um, Not but, so hostile in a way in the end. But, 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 Turned out loads of people wanted it. Uh, well, it's hostile until it's not... It's yeah. hostile until it's... Until they it's, see the money. Yeah, and then everybody's, oh, oh, yeah, okay, we can get into bed with this. Game on less than hostile now. Including he? Rory, who says, you know, this is going to ultimately in 10 years be good for the game if I separate myself. But you separate yourself, but you're still taking the Saudi cash because there's no alternative. The money talks. And it's a degree of, as your favourite phrase, Jer, forget it, Rory, it's Chinatown. Um but another thing about it, it another, it's another kind of a admission in all of this thing that the Saudis are doing, that oil is uh, in the back, in the, in the rearview mirror in terms of the future, fossil fuels, as, as you know, countries move to solar, to wind, to other sources of renewable energy, nuclear possibly. And they're, they're diversifying away from oil. And the sense is as well, they're trying to make Saudi Arabia a bit younger, a bit like, more like Dubai. Um, and being sport, being investing and trying to buy a popular culture around the world is a part of the legitimizing this and, and making it more of a permissive society. The only problem is you've got a judicial system that executes 81 people in the day. You've got Washington Post journalists turning up at a Turkish consulate and being dismembered and killed. That's the kind of thing that people have a bit of an issue with. Not good for the brand. No, um, they've got stakes, Saudi Arabia, in Meta, Bank of America, Nintendo, Uber. Um, and uh, the Yasir al Ramayan, who's the guy who's the, also the chair of Newcastle, who's going to be the chair of this new um, golf world professional entity, um, the kind of the, the, the sense of the article in the Telegraph is he just he's obsessed with golf, and they've got the cash, and uh, there's always a, there's a degree of a seat at the table about this and a respect thing that we want to see at the table, we want to be respected, and then if if you if allow us that, then we can let you run your golf tour globally and, and we can all have a kumbaya moment. I, I do think it'll be interesting to see what the relationship is like afterwards if if, um, if if that's all that's required in this instance and then something else is next and something else is next. I mean, you have to assume that there are similar portfolios being built up in real estate and, uh, and in other corporations that are the shareholding is too small for them at the moment to have to register, but you, you've listed off the major companies that they own massive stakes in that everybody uses in day-to-day life. If you use WhatsApp, you're helping to support the Saudi Investment Fund, you know? Uh, also, they've won this now. Um, I'm just fascinated, by the way, just on a tangent, see how Rory plays at the US Open in a couple of weeks. Uh, but they've won this now. The next thing will be the World Cup in 2030. That'll be the next thing to win. Uh, we know that Infantino lives in the Gulf. He's got a nice relationship with MBS. Uh, do they win that? Do they win uh, the Olympics? I didn't realise he lives in the Gulf, does he? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the power of money. Um, well, if they give, yeah, if they give the 2030 World Cup 100 years after Uruguay <coughs> won it. I read, Miguel Delaney, it. I read Miguel Delaney saying that there's this kind of talk out there, because Miguel writes so well about all this stuff, that Uruguay might get the opening game. <laughs> the rest of it will be held in Saudi, Greece and Egypt. Play everyone else to Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's just bonkers. <laughs> the, Jim, Jim Monaghan, like, Rory name-checked him obviously yesterday, but the, the, his comments and the turnaboutery that he has uh, performed here, like, is his job... The question is probably not, like, realistically, but it, 
should be. Uh, he, he, was, he was referencing 9-11 last year and all of a sudden now he's like, oh, these guys are, these guys are actually great. But the person who'd be firing him would be the guy he's just in the deal with. Yeah. Yeah, the real politic of it is that they need Monaghan now, that Monaghan is part of this. Um, the, the, well, he, the, he's the, the human shield. The, the syrup is that the players on the PJ Tour, of course they don't. And, and Sorry, I, he's really useful for them now for the next period of time because he'll take all the... He'll take all the pers- at a personal level. Everybody will attack him, kind of going and get. That's where the anger, the the blister of the anger, pops on him, and uh, everybody's like, "Well, it's just there's nothing we can do about this now." Because uh, there was an interesting point um, Rex Hoggard was making about the fans stopping the Super League. Golf fans probably don't care enough about this, do they? Like American golf fans, who are ultimately the only ones who could have any influence, but they're they're not gonna. They're not going to be digging up fairways at at golf courses. They're not going to be bursting in and, and stopping a tournament from happening the way they did Man United Liverpool. Like that's just not going to happen. They're not going to care about the Sa- they're not going to care about the Saudi money, where the money's coming from. Well, like you've already had a DP World Tour, and DP World have uh, also you know had questions to answer in the past. Um, people just want to see good sports. They want to see competitive sports. My whole issue with all of this has been like I mean this this relationship with the Saudi Arabian government and. The, and, and this government's relationship with Saudi, like the Saudi Cup horse race and all these kind of things. My issue always was with this that they were they were disrupting a sport and the competitiveness of a sport. Um, Is Irish racing not massively uh, indebted historically to Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabian money? Yeah, but it's more. It's, 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 it's the Arab world more so um, that they've got this you know huge relationship with. Um, like once again. Uh, in, in a, an idyllic unicorn universe, would you be doing business with everybody in the world? Uh, no, um, you'd be able to pick and choose who you do business, who you do business with. And I think in the, in the case of the, the issue, always this for me was that the, the the live the people who went to live and the actors in live and they, they were disruptors of the what the what the what a sport should be, which is about competition and about the best against the best. And maybe that's a completely naive view. Actually, what this will do is actually it'll bring it back to what what the sport should be. It's just maybe that the uh, money backbone in it um, is very um, unsavoury in a way. I'm interested to see what happens, Greg Norman. Now I know he was. Kind I think of he's a, gone. He's a yeah, goner. He was just a figurehead, really, wasn't he? The last. But year he, he so. was. Well, he was. He was. He was very good at his job, which has been a disruptor that people didn't like. That Homer Simpson meme of him fading into the bush. I think that's Greg um, Norman now. Um, just fade into the. And, and his his his. his, his his, his dream was to have a world tour 30 years ago. Once again, a bit like the Saudis, he was said, no, you're not, you're, you, you don't have a seat at the table. And it's amazing what resentment can do in terms of driving people to get the outcome they want. All right. JD, we'll leave it there. Good stuff. All right, that's More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. Now, at 8.53, I'm delighted to say we have Andy Friend with us on the line to talk to us about his time at Connacht. Andy, you're somewhere uh, in the mainland of Europe at the moment. Yes, mate. We're in, uh, I'll try and get it right, St. Mare Eglise in Normandy. Landed in um, uh, Cherbourg yesterday, so making our way north uh, as we speak. Um, how, how long are your travels going to take you? Uh, just shy of six months. We're, we're back in um, Ireland near the end of November. Um, sell the motor home, and then we'll fly home to Australia and see the family. So it's ultimately the trip of a lifetime, a reward for time well spent in Connacht, I suspect. Uh, listen, we think so, mate. It's probably um, time well spent for the last twenty nine years on the on the professional coaching circuit. So 
I, I'll be honest, we've only had it in our plans for the last probably three years, but um, you, know, you very rarely get that uh, or this time where you can just go and enjoy each other's company. That's my wife and I, and we know we're heading home to family, which is beautiful. So, uh, yeah, we'll enjoy these next six months. Six months of driving around. Have you got anything specific on your itinerary, or are you just going to let you see where the open road takes you? We'll follow our nose for most of it, mate. We've got a few um, few good friends um, around Europe, uh, good mate in Dusseldorf, good mate in, in Munich, uh, friends up in Italy, friends over in Switzerland, friends in France. So, uh, And we will get to the World Cup um, for, for a couple of games or certainly be in some towns for a couple of games. Um, Diebold Senecal, who was our forward coach at Connett, he's over in Oinia with his wife and daughter now, so we'll definitely drop in and see them. So, yeah, we've we got a few little spots to stop, but the rest of the time it'll just be follow the nose and see what takes our fancy. Is this the moment where you start to reflect on your time at Connacht, or had you begun to do that anyway as it was coming to an end? I had started to do that. Um, yeah, one of the things I love about Irish Rugby Union, they do support us as, as coaches, and um, RFU have a, a fellow by the name of Dara Sheridan who's actually a Galway-based fella, but... Um, uh, he's a high performance coach support, and Dara has been really good to um, uh, give me some time and to allow me to to reflect upon the time that I had there. So he he um, coordinated an exercise where we got feedback from from five significant people, and um, he and I spent a good chunk of time over the last week or so um, going through that, giving me some feedback. Because as a head coach, you often don't get a lot of feedback, but. Um, it was great to get that feedback and, and gives me something now to be pondering and, and thinking upon these next six months as, as uh, we're on this break, but allows me also then to prepare for potentially life after after Connacht when we get back to Australia. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. but uh, So I've done a bit of reflection, reflection, but I'm sure we'll do a little bit more over the next six months. And what's the overriding emotion, Andy? Like, Is it relief it's... You know, your five years is over, you can relax now away from the game. Is it a bit of sadness or is it a mixture? It's definitely a mixture. There's no relief. Um, it's probably a sadness that, that um, we've left Galway and, and so many friendly people uh, and, and, and a club that I think, you know, I fell in love with the club and will always have a love affair with Connor Rugby now. Um, there's an element of content contentedness um, you know, I feel like we've, we've come in and we've done the job that we were asked to do and I believe we're leaving the club um, in a good spot I think Pete Wilkins uh, is going to be a great appointment and he's got a really healthy coaching team around him I think uh, the squad where it is at the minute is, is in a healthy spot um, I know Willie Ruan as a CEO and, and his board they've, they've got great plans ahead you know, with new stadiums and new centre of excellence and, and, and so on and so forth. So I just feel like the club's in a, in a great position. So there's an element of contentness around that, um, but definitely an element of sadness leaving, um, you know, leaving some really special people and a, and a really special job. In terms of the feedback that you were getting, I don't know how happy or otherwise you are to, to talk any more about it, but um, it's difficult for people to take feedback. It turns out we're not good as, as humans listening to somebody say, I, I really like the way you do this, but what about the way you do this? Could you do it slightly better? Um, what's that like for you at the uh, at this stage of your career? I, was, I nearly said the end there, Andy, I'm sorry, but at, at the end of this particular section of your career, what's that like for you? Because it, it, you know, it, can, it can be difficult to listen to sometimes. 
I actually really enjoy it, weirdly, because uh, so, so the way we did it was a you know pretty stock standard stop start keep it's called. So you know what do you need to stop doing, what do you need to start doing, and what do you need to keep doing? And I, I had feedback in in all three areas. Um, there was a lot in the keep section, which was always a positive thing. So keep doing this. This works for your friend. And a lot of that stuff I knew anyway. Um, some of the stop stuff, most of that I knew anyway, because I am aware of some blind spots that I have and I am aware of, of some failings that I have, as we all have. Um, there was a couple there that went, oh, geez, I, I, I probably need to be a bit smarter on that. And then on the start, there was some really interesting stuff there. And one of the reasons... Um, that they probably came more as a surprise because you know people people look a little bit more out, outside of the box at, at your skill set and what you can offer. So there's a few suggestions there, and once you start doing this, and I thought, oh, that's you know that's handy too. So it was really good feedback. Um, I agree with you. I think I think as humans, we don't like receiving negative feedback in particular, but at the same time, you, you've you've got to get that because we all have failings, we all have blind spots, we all need areas to work on. And, and we need people who we respect and who we trust who can give us that feedback. And and so for me, I, I was I was really appreciative of the feedback and and really really um, glad to get it. To be honest with you, do you think your role changed from the time that you arrived to the time when you finished? That um, I, I, this is a question: Was there less coaching at the end than there was at the start because you kind of hadn't instilled uh, systems? And at the end, it was more about trying to create or tend to the culture that you had created more accurately? Yeah, most definitely, mate. Uh, I didn't do any on-field coaching in the last 12 months and did, did minimal in the, in the 12 months prior. Um, and so, you know, when I came in, yes, there was a lot more on, on-field coaching and hands-on stuff, but that definitely faded out, which, um, you know, when I took on that last two years, that was a definite plan, which is why, uh, you know, in that last year, my title became Director of Rugby, um, because it, it 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 said two things to to myself and the players and to Pete Wilkins in particular and and to our supporters. Number one, um, Friendy's taken a step away from the on-field stuff because we had Pete Pete uh, we had Carly Tucker, we had Mossy Lawler, Deerbelt Senecal, four really good coaches. So let them go and coach. And the second thing was just to open up that space for Pete, who. Um, you know, had the title then as a head coach and gave the players more certainty around, well, who's actually leading this program a minute. I was leading the program in terms of the buck stops with me, but Pete was doing all the on-field stuff. So uh, it was really important to give him that, that title. Um, but definitely my role changed over the last five years, as it has done over the last 29 years. I started as a skills coach where you're, you're so ingrained in the nitty-gritty of, of a half-backs pass or a line-out throw a throw or a, a kicker's kick. Um, whereas you come through the coaching ranks, you just take a broader view of the whole game, and uh, you know you get to where I'm at at the moment. I'm not on field coaching. I'm, I'm a, it's a more broader strategic view of the whole program. So um, it's been a nice adjustment, to be honest with you. Wonder, Andy, uh, do you have any start, stop, keep uh, bits of advice for Irish rugby now that you're you're leaving us? Like, is it a? I know Dan McFarland had the the comments. Uh, during the the season, about the demographics favouring Leinster, and you have a playing budget that's that's I think half of Munster and Ulster, and far less of of Leinster. Um, so, what what are your what are your takeaways in terms of Irish rugby and the and the state of Irish rugby uh, as it is as it is currently? I guess. Well, I think it's in a great position, number one in the world at the minute. Um, you know, you've got Munster winning the URC. You had Leinster 
reaching the second final in a row of, of Champions Cup. I, I was really disappointed for, for Leinster and for Leo in particular around that Champions Cup because I just thought, you know, they put so much energy into that. So you, you look at, you know, Connett made the semi-finals. Ulster's been up there and thereabouts for the last four or five seasons. So I think all four provinces now are really pulling their weight, which is adding to to the, the success of the national team. Um, and, and I think the, the job that Andy Farrell and his coaches are doing is fantastic. So, yeah, you've got the women into the, into the, the Olympics for the sevens. The men are, are trying to qualify there, but they're, they're now a foundation team on the on the world circuit. So there's a lot of good things going on, under 20s, undefeated for the last two seasons. Um, so plenty of good stuff going on there. Uh, so I think it's in a healthy state, to be honest with you. Um, there'll always be stop starts and keeps. Yeah. I think the, the most important keep at the moment is is, is keep all four, four provinces engaged, keep building the, the game on all aspects, I believe. I think that you know, there's definitely a space for women's rugby and for sevens rugby and for 15s, um, participation-based sport, professional-based sport. It's a... It's a it's a tre- tremendous game, and and the more we can just push people playing the game, get involved in the game, the better it is for us all. So I think it's in a healthy spot, mate. There will be no doubt some some stops and some starts. Um, Dave Nisafor has asked me to give him a call on that over the next few weeks. So until I have that call with him, I'll, I'll probably keep my counsel dry on that. Fair enough. Um, I, I, obviously, I was, you know, I'm sure that conversation will be really fascinating because you've, you've got embedded in the culture and you've seen it develop and evolve and you know the plans for the future with that in mind and looking at your own journey from skills coach to director of rugby um, and this is probably a a question you're being asked quite a bit over the next while uh, in the camper van what do you want to do next? Yeah and that's the great unknown at the moment I I, I think um, uh, yeah I've I've loved this last year in supporting other coaches uh, and, and I think as a as a coach who's come through um, over the last couple of decades, um, there's not a lot of support there for coaches. And, and as we see at the moment, you know, with social media and, and a greater spotlight on on what we all do, uh, there's more and more pressure building. And, and I fear for the game um, if we keep putting this pressure on new coaches, young coaches, and we don't give them support around them to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, what you're doing is fine, mate. You just lost a few games. Get back to process. Get back to what you're doing, because I can promise you, when you're in that in that washing machine, you don't necessarily see um, the, the right things, and you, you do lose. You, you, know, you have doubt around. Do I actually know what I'm doing? So, I think coaches need that, and I've really enjoyed being that bloke. Um, do I want to coach again? I'm not going to say no to that, but I probably want to get off the the, the treadmill of club coaching which is week in week out you know 40 weeks of the year that's tough it's tough I've loved it but it's tough on the family and and that's the that to me at the moment is a big thing I need to focus on now I need to give back to my wife who we've had a great five years in Galway together but we've had five years away from our two boys and prior to that I'd had another six years away from the two boys I've had the last 11 years away from the two sons they're not getting any younger. I need to spend time with them. So the club coaching won't allow me to do that. Um, potentially being a consultant where I'm supporting other coaches and supporting programs, I could do that. I could do both. I could share my experience. Uh, and I could also um, you know, be, be, be there for my boys, which would be really important to me. So 
but in all honesty, I have no idea what that's going to look like in uh, in six to seven or eight months' time. How difficult has that been, Andy, being away from the, the boys? Because like even a lot of people spoke about people culture, and Ronan O'Gara has been a person that's brought that into La Rochelle. You've done the exact same with Connacht from the very outset, you know, making sure the families were heavily involved. Um, so what was that like for such a, a long duration of time, being away from the two boys? It must have been a, a difficult thing. It's something that people looking from the outside in, I guess, don't really, don't really consider or think about. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I'm not the only bloke, and we're not the only people that have time away from their kids. But you, you, the bit that got me was about probably about a year ago, 13, 14 months ago, where um, so it was just before our, we, we've got a granddaughter now. It was, just, it was about two months before she was born, and my son and his girlfriend put up a photo of, of them together with another couple. And and I said to Kez, I saw the photo, I said, geez, that's a lovely photo. I said, now that's... Um, that's Fee, isn't it? Is, that, is her name Fee? It was the other woman in the photo. She said, yeah. I said, there's the Blake with him. She said, Freddie, that's, that's Ando. That's one of Jacko's best mates. And I'm like, right. Oh, that's like I, I shouldn't not know that. You know, I shouldn't not know that that, that young man there is best mates with my son. And, and I shouldn't have had to guess around who's that woman there. And that made me go, you know, we've got a great relationship with our two boys. Because we see, you know, we're on, in contact, and that's one of the beauties of social media, or with the, with the modern era, where you, you can stay in touch. But I don't know the nitty gritty of what those fellas are doing, and that's the bit that made me go, ah, "This has got to stop. I've got to get home, and I've got to, you know, learn a little bit more about their mates and and what they do." And uh, you know, we play a lot of games, we play a lot of cards, we play a lot of backgammon, different board games. Just just spend that time just being with them, whether it's sitting around a fire, whether it's you know, out camping or whatever it is we're doing. We, I just haven't done that. And they're the things you miss. So they are tough, mate, because that's that's what's really important to us as a family and, and they're the things that, unfortunately, we've, we've, uh, we've sacrificed to do what we do. But we knew we were doing it, um, but now we know we need to get back to it, so we're going to head back and do that. I'm right in saying one of your sons is um, totally and utterly responsible for recruiting Mac Hansen, though, at the same time. <laughs> it's a great story, that, isn't it? Listen, he, he, he will claim 100% responsibility, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, he, definitely had a, he definitely had some input because I didn't realise he knew Mac. Um, but uh, when, he, when I asked him the question, do you know Mac? He said, yeah, I do. And he was able to give me some insights as to what it was. But... Um, no, he wasn't 100% responsible. Uh, we actually have a very healthy, strength, um, strong recruitment plan um, at Connacht Rugby. Probably the best I've ever seen, to be honest with you. Where Tim Allnut runs that as our head of um, head of operations, the head coach is always involved. Willie Ruan is our CEO, takes a massive involvement in it, and, and we, you know, we've got our, our analysts um, flood through a heap of numbers for us and names for us so it's, it's a really comprehensive thing I think the way that came out it sounded like we'd, we'd fallen over Mac Anson and we tripped up on him because my son had said this bloke can play footy dad but um, no it was a bit more to it than that but he definitely uh, gave me some insights as to who Mac Anson was off the footy field prior to assigning him and does Mac have a, an Andy Friend tattoo yet? <laughs> no, I don't believe so. I did hear someone tell me the other day it was in a, in a part of his body that we probably can't talk about. But no, I don't believe he does, mate. And if he had it, I didn't want to see it anyway. He, he was good enough to come to me just before we, we drove out of sports ground the other day to say, have a, look at, uh, have a look at my new tat. And he showed it to me. I honestly thought it was Michael Checker. I said, what do you got Michael Checker on your, on your leg for? And he said, it's, it's Faz. I went, oh, of course it is. Yeah, I can see that now. 
but it actually confused the hell out of me when he showed me. But um, listen, he's one of life's characters, mate, and he'd made a promise that uh, if they won the Grand Slam, he'd get Faz on his quad. And uh, he, a man true to his word, he's gone and done it. But you'll end up with a body full of uh, different faces on it, no doubt. <laughs> Andy, enjoy the next six months, whatever they bring, and, and wherever you go next. I think the people, anytime we've had you on, will understand the authenticity and the story you told about missing your kids. I don't think anybody will begrudge you heading home, but there's going to be a legacy to your time in Connacht that's very clear that anybody who's dealt with you from the media side, I can only imagine what it must have been like to play for you. I remember you came to an OB that we were doing uh, in Galway in race week and everybody after was like, wow, I want to play rugby for him and uh, we weren't very good rugby players. So there's definitely going to be a long-lasting legacy to your time in Connacht and so enjoy whatever comes next. No, good on you, fellas. Appreciate your support since I've been there and... uh Long may that continue for the club. It's a, it's a tremendous club. There's so many good people there, and it's, it's on the way up. Um, and that's probably the, the thing that I'm most proud of is, you know, we've kept it on that upward trajectory. And I'm, I've no doubt that Pete and, and, the, and the playing squad and Willie will, will continue to take that, uh, and all the staff continue to take um, that onward trajectory going forward. So I'm going to watch from afar. I'll always be a Connacht fan and an Irish rugby fan now. So. I thank you for your time and your support of rugby in the game. It's, it's been brilliant. Best of luck, Andy. Cheers. Thanks a million. Good on you, fellas. Cheers. It's 11 minutes past nine. OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Got the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. You're listening to OTB AM. I'm delighted to say Andy McEntee is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, lads, yeah. How are you guys? Uh, Shane was making the point it's a slightly uh, shorter journey from um, Dunboyne to Dublin than it is to... Um, training in Antrim but then I passed the M50 and there's like the big sign for the Titanic 90 minutes from here I'm like that's not too bad it can often take me 90 minutes to get in here so it can okay. so I mean you know uh, and it's uh, it's it's a good road so it's not it's not the worst journey in the world you've got a slightly down week this week in terms of there's no game for you at the weekend you get to sit and watch um, potential opponents knock lumps out of each other so time to take stock from the campaign so far it's been fairly incredible for you guys from the Talton Cup perspective uh, yeah, well, I mean, incredible is probably a bit a bit strong, but I mean, it's been decent. Yeah, uh, it it uh, the important thing I think for for a team at our stage of of development is is getting games and and uh, getting games that you can be competitive in. So you know, it's it, it's worked out nicely. You know, getting a a little bit of momentum behind us is uh, is important. We would have spoken before when you were Meath manager about the fact that you would uh, get beaten in in Leinster by Dublin and then you'd go through the qualifiers and the lessons that you were learning and absorbing would be over while all the rest of the teams in the country who were slightly better than you were getting weeks of good warm weather training and the opportunity to embed plans for the next season. So you were starting next season at a handicap for being knocked out this season. Yeah, the gap was always getting a little bit bigger, you know, unless unless you got you know got a good run in the qualifiers. But, I mean, you're trying to... Th- we, you know, we found we were trying to close the gap on, on, on Dublin as it was pretty much all the time. And yet they were getting to work together for an extra couple of months and getting extra games and extra training and you know ours you know, yeah our season comes to a comes to a sudden end and uh, you're finding finding yourself a little bit further behind nearly every year so uh what's your what's your instinct about the arguments that we're seeing oh the the uh, Sam Maguire is too long and convoluted to get 12 teams into 16 and Talton Cup is less convoluted I guess because more teams go out but it seems to me it's kind of missing the point of trying to level the playing field for, for counties 
Yeah, I think it is. Certainly, it is for for the Talton Cup. No, there's only one less team going out in the Talton Cup because of uh, because of New York's involvement. Mm. But uh, you know, for for teams, you know, in divisions three and divisions four, you need to be together. You need to be staying together, and you need to get games. You need to get a bit of momentum if 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 you want to make progress. So uh, I think people are missing the point a little bit. I mean, I, I can I get what they're saying when you have all these games just to eliminate three or four teams. But uh, if you want to see intercounty, if you want to see the best uh, the best players playing on a regular basis, you got to provide a platform for them. Now, I've I've long uh, complained about about the the provincial structure. I mean, I think the answer to a lot of people's problems is: I mean, you have you have a senior and you have an intermediate uh, championship. And you have divisions one and two play in the senior, and divisions three and four play in the intermediate. So sixteen and sixteen, and it's it's almost like the numbers work out. <laughs> almost. I mean, if you thought long and hard about it, yeah. you might. If you, think if you were so. to design numbers for yeah. a system, this would kind of be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Although GM missing the trick with the calendar, Andy, like in terms of the you look at July and August, especially when the, the All Ireland final is a little bit earlier, I guess you've got a, an opportunity there where you're not competing against soccer and and, and rugby, and and there's a gap there where maybe the GA could lean into. Oh, I mean, I think again, I've had this conversation, I think, with you guys before as well. I mean, I think, I think we are missing. I think GA are missing a trick. I mean, we've 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 offered up prime time uh, to. A, you know, and, and as you say, when rugby and soccer are at their are at their lowest, mm. uh, and we have a captive audience, uh, and we're not getting to see the best players in the country playing the games that we want to see them play. So uh, there's a big rush. I mean, we we end up playing uh, national league games in in uh, end of January, February, uh, when it's too bloody cold to go and see them. Mm. Uh, and arguably some of, you know, the, the, the consequences of, of not performing in the league are dire in, in some places. Uh, and the most important games of the year can often be played in, in February and March when realistically uh, they should be played in, in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and so now you've been through the experience of the Talton Cup group stages and a league campaign with Antrim. Um, the... The inconsistency in the team in the league seems to have been worked out by the time you got to the summer. And maybe it hasn't all been worked out, but certainly they made big strides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look at I mean some of the, some of the inconsistencies. I mean, we we uh, from the highs of beaten from the highs of beaten Cavan to the lows of of not showing up against Westmeath. Uh, and I suppose that that can happen any team, but I, I, you know the, the the games that really probably hurt us more in in the league were the last minute defeat to uh, to Down and to Fermanagh. And you know, had we have, I, you know, it, it, I suppose just goes to show how tight every division is in the league. Uh, had we have come through those two games, you begin into the last game playing for promotion. Uh, so. You'd like to think uh, you'd like to think that we've ironed out some of the problems, uh, and I suppose last last weekend was a, it was a, we were kind of turned the tables a little bit on on, on Fermanagh in that uh, we were the ones who came from behind and got a couple of late scores in previous seasons. And not to labour the point here, but like uh, Antrim would have potentially gone out against one of the Division One teams in the first round of Ulster and then um, into the qualifiers. Whereas now next season you're starting the season from an equal footing from all the other teams in Division 3 at least depending on how many more games you get in the Talton Cup and it could be as many as three 
and so you're just starting off a much better base and everybody has confidence because you've played in summertime and it's a nicer thing to do I suspect for young men to get some reward for spending all the bleak midwinter training sessions yeah. to actually play in sunshine yeah I mean I think that the ratio people would have said that the ratio of training to games has always been a little bit skewed you know when you think about it uh, and there is a, there is a, a bit of payback for for guys who put in a lot of long hard hours, you know, in 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 bad weather conditions and doing all the all the things that they're asked to do. Same for every county, but you know the prospect of of us, you know, the 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 prize for getting a result uh, in the next game is is getting into Croke Park, and for uh, for a group like the Antrim fellas, I think that'll be that'll be huge. Certainly, a, a big motivating factor. What was the target at the, at the outset of the Totten Cup, Andy? Because you see even the, the goals that you're banging in in the, in the three group games, like it's consistent. Um, well, it might sound like a stupid question, but was the target to win the Totten Cup? Or was it to get to a certain level? Was it just to improve the style of play? Or what was the focus? Well, I think uh, no, more than, no more than the league, I think every team in the Totten Cup w- could stand back and, and make a case for themselves for being reasonably successful. Mm. Now, you know, how, how far that goes... And nobody, nobody can really tell. But yeah, we 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 looked at it as I said. I certainly looked at it, and the players, in all fairness, them absolutely bought into this. We looked at this as, as a competition that we can be competitive in, and with you know with a favourable wind, you know you could go reasonably far in it. Presume a final against me is the is the ultimate. Would you rather avoid that? Or would you absolutely embrace it? Oh, I'd I'd rather avoid it now, if at all possible, you know. But I, I guess it would mean that me they'd be winning, and it means we'd be winning. So uh, the downside of it would be uh, a couple of weeks of discomfort, I guess. Mm, positives. Yeah. The style of, the style of play is something that I've heard a couple of the players talk about as well, and even just the the focus, the added focus, maybe since Andy McGinley left on on strength and conditioning and and fitness, and I know that that seems to have been a focus, and, and clearly. You know, late in games, it's it's paying off for Antrim as well. That focus. Yeah, I think the lads have put in uh, put in a lot of work. Really, you know, in uh, in Robbie Bremner and and, uh, and uh, Brendan Murphy, we have we have two really good guys. Uh, we have the facilities there, and I think the lads, you know, it it, it is starting to pay off. You know, so, but I mean, that's that's one of the one of the basic ingredients of of the modern game is you got to be physically able for it. I mean, last last Sunday was was. It was tough going, so it was 25 degrees and uh, very hard ground. And uh, fortunately enough, we, we, we had enough guys still late, well able to make the runs late in the game. The injuries have been something else, like when you see uh, and the hard pitches don't help. Mm. Was, was it easier for you coming in in a sense that I, know, I think Antrim lost a number of players from last year's panel, that whether it's to travel or whatever else, or maybe players just come to the end of their careers? Um, but it's more of a clean slate maybe for you coming in from the previous tenure yeah there was there was a number of guys for various reasons as you say injuries you know just reached that stage in the career one thing or another uh, yeah there was there was a lot of guys uh, not involved this year that would have been and uh, would have been involved last year and still a number of fellas who uh, are involved but unfortunately have had long term injuries mm-hmm. you know the lads of Paddy McAleer and Kevin Small and uh, Unfortunately, Ryan Ryan Murray now as well. They're they're long term injuries, but uh, they've been they've been great fellas to have around the place and have have, have shown great interest uh, and great encourage and given great encouragement to, to a lot of the younger guys. 
Antrim has big playing numbers and huge population base and obviously yeah, not everybody's interested in playing Gaelic football but for those who are there are still big numbers and uh, it always felt like there's potential there for it to be a bit of a sleeping giant if they were to get the systems in place do you feel like some of those systems are beginning to bear fruit or there's still work to do at, at that level too I think there's I think there's work to do I think uh, I mean you can you can change body shapes because you know it's this kind of a straight line equation you know the more you run the better you get you know it, trying to change mindsets is, is, is a little bit different uh, and uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of that with the lads they're 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 going out with an expectation that they, that that they can perform at this level and and that they can succeed. Uh, but I, I think structures, you know, underage structures, a lot of really good work being done up there, uh, and it'll probably take a little while yet to bear fruit. Uh, the club scene uh, is very competitive. Uh, is very competitive uh, and. You know, probably perhaps could do with a little bit of tweaking to to maybe help it uh, help the the county scene, because there is there's always there's always a little bit of uh, I suppose I wouldn't say friction, but there's always a little bit of a tug of war between you know club and, and county, uh, and trying to maybe get a better balance for that I think would 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 help in the longer term. Is that looking at something like they do in Monaghan, where they have the start games and all the county players are only available for the start games, but everybody else and the, the games continue and everybody knows the story at the start of the year, something like that? Yeah, something something like that, uh, and and maybe maybe not in so much of a rush to 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 get leagues started, uh, and maybe then the connection between league and championship, your status between you know is in championship. Is in some places dependent on on what what division you are in the league. So, in that regard, teams that provide more players uh, for the county setup aren't punished. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that uh, you can see why then players are like you can't go to this game this weekend because we need you for this game. But it's just a random. It seems on the face of it to be a run of the mill league game, but ultimately it might impact their ability to play senior championship. Yeah, and, and everybody has to appreciate that. I mean, yeah. the club is the club is very important to to everyone. You mentioned the heat there last week at the match, Andy, and I was in Clonus myself, and it was similar. I noticed even just there's water bottles being shared between players constantly. Kieran Donnelly had the man manager interest in comments after the match where he was like, he thought it was outrageous that there wasn't something organised, you know, reactionary almost, that, it, that players playing in that heat, that there could have been something. Maybe it's a small issue, of course, but these things. Yeah, can, can it, 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 I, I suppose I, you know, it's difficult for both. I could, I could see maybe from a referee's perspective, maybe he's been, uh, he's been graded, and there's somebody watching him, and there's no, uh, no official allowance made for water breaks. Both, both Kieran and, and himself agreed that uh, you know we, we'd, we'd go with water breaks if, if the referee was, was, uh, was open to that, and. Could well be that perhaps he, you know he he compromises himself by doing something like that. I don't really know, but sometimes you just need a little bit of common sense. Well, you know the the problem with common sense is that you know it's uncommon usually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I I like I totally take your point that it's really difficult. But some dictators surely somebody in the organisation can say, okay, these are uh, unparalleled uh, weather conditions, and so therefore we've decided that everybody's allowed a water break. Maybe if you're playing the Limerick hurlers, you don't want to give them the water break because Canark <laughs> is such a genius. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, 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 I suppose to give the referee his dues, he kind of he did say, "Well, look at it, if there's a natural break and play, 
get on the pitch here. You, you, you know. Right. Now, um, maybe... If Antrim have scored six or seven points on the track, you don't want the, the break and play, maybe. There you go. But I'd be very reasonable when it comes to things like that. You very know. reasonable. <laughs> How are you enjoying it? Oh, I'm enjoying it. I mean, like anything else, like any other any job, it has it has issues. I mean, there's always there's always uh, something to be dealt with. But are you getting better at dealing with that stuff now? It's a second time around, like. Yeah, I suppose it's it's also you're very tentative there. I think no, no, no. It it it. Uh, I, I think I probably said this to you before. Like when it was with Bally Bowden going back to Dunboyne and being able to leave it behind you mm. makes it a little bit easier and it's a little bit the same in in, uh, in Dunboyne you know come back to Dunboyne and there is a, a little bit of an Antrim fan base growing in Dunboyne but it's it's a member you know a lot of close friends uh, so I can leave a lot of it you can leave a lot of it behind you're not surrounded by it all the time yeah. and that probably makes it a little bit easier and like is the experience that you had with Meath as useful as you hoped it would be when it comes to dealing with or is it, was a lot of it specific to me? Do you know what I mean? Like, are there just tenets of the job that you can go, okay, I've got this box off my head. I know when this issue arises, I'm going to be able to either outsource the problem or nip it in the bud quickly and we can, you know, or... Yeah, I think a lot a lot of the, the issues come up are, are individual. I mean, you've got to deal with it. I mean, you, you, you do have... I mean, the, the club versus county thing is, a, is you know, that's a, that's a common denominator everywhere, I'd say. Uh, I have a look at you're learning all the time, you know. So I mean, surely there's there's uh, there's elements of my experience with me that that I could bring with me and, and maybe benefit from up there. But in general, I, I'm very fortunate dealing with with uh, Don Murphy as the treasurer and, and Kerry McAvanagh, the chairman. I deal with two people, and that makes it an awful lot simpler. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in me, you're dealing with <clears throat> you know people in Trim and Navan and Ashburn walking down the street and. Dunboyne, everyone has their opinion, I guess, and two cents worth of thoughts on who should play, who should not play, and for sure, play. for sure, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same up in Belfast, but I can't hear it from where I am. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. uh, Andy, last one for you at the moment. We can't work out who the best um, couple of teams in the country are uh, for Sam Maguire. Do you have any inkling about who's going to do it at this stage? Yeah, well, it's probably it's probably a little bit early. There's still a little bit of uh, shadow boxing going on, I suppose, and and no team has really grabbed it. Uh, you know, Galway have had a, had a couple of wins. I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that that uh, Tyrone mightn't be too far off. Right. Okay. Yeah. In terms of that shadow boxing, right? How do you get them then to peak for the games when it really does matter? Like, is that is that about? Like being the the emotion is dialed down a few percentage points for these games at the moment, and then you've got to dial that up for the knockout football. Yeah, I'd say that's that's a possibility, but I, I don't think the shadow boxing is intentional. I, I just think you know there's, there's no team playing particularly well on a consistent basis at the moment. Uh, now the question is always, can you turn it on when you when you really need it? And I suppose that's you know that's where Dublin have been able have been able to do that. You know they've been able to get through Leinster traditionally, you know, quite easily. Same with Kerry, uh, but Kerry haven't been able to turn it on. You know when when they really needed it. I mean I know they got across the line last year, but yeah, could very easily have not got across the line last year. Yeah, Dublin uh, nearly caught them, and then Galway nearly caught them. Dublin nearly caught them, and you know a couple of late decisions made made a big difference in that in that uh, in that game against uh, against Galway. Uh, so I mean, I'm sure Galway. I mean, the, the two teams that I, w- I would think uh, 
uh, will probably be Galway and, and, and Tyrone. Okay, and it's, uh, just in, in terms of the preparation for um, this year and the extended season, has it been straightforward to get your team to be as good as they can be for this period? Like, is that is that just a, a, an earlier in the year conversation with the physio and the strength and conditioning going? We need them to be super fit at this point. Let's not kill them up until that point, but we need them to be peaking here and here. Uh, no, I wouldn't have had that because I mean the truth of the matter is for us uh, survival in Division Three was was huge, right? You know, so you can't say, well, look, we'll you know we'll try and engage this and, and make sure we're in the right spot come Talton Cup, uh, and th- and that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, th- those games in the league are, are so important yeah. to to your whole season. Well, it would have defined your first year. You know, you're getting relegated to Division Four, but yeah, and you do well in Talton Cup. I was like, yeah, but we're playing Division Four football next season. Yeah, and very hard to to turn around. I mean, uh, if you find yourself in Division 4, there's every chance that the performances wouldn't be as good in the Talton Cup. Yeah. So, uh, the... Uh, it, I mean, it's probably a little... It's different for teams in Division 1s, but even if they're in Division 2... Like, I know from a Meath perspective, uh, you know, uh, your, league, your league performances weren't good enough to escaping in uh, in Talton Cup and uh, for obviously for for a team for a county like like Mead with, with that tradition that was huge so they couldn't afford to be uh, to be trying to sort of gauge it for a championship which makes it a bit of a lottery now in Talton Cup and therefore really exciting and interesting yeah it's really exciting i mean uh, we have we have a home game in in Cargan Park now on on Saturday or Sunday week and I'd like to think the place will be buzzing uh, because there are uh, a lot of really good, genuine GA people up there. Yeah. And uh, if we could get that, the, the hurlers have certainly managed to get it. And I guess that's that has been the challenge that I put down to the fellas is you know we got, we got to capture their imagination just like the hurlers did. Yeah. Well, best of luck with this. Um, yeah. Continued success. Thanks, Andy, for joining us today. Not at all. Thanks, Cheers, Andy. Cheers, man. Andy McEntee there. <laughs> OTBIM Live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. On tomorrow's programme, Graham Hunter previews the Champions League. Uh, talks about Messi as well. Uh, Jenny Claffey on the tennis. David Sharkey. Plenty more. Right now, James O'Connor and Joe Quaid chat about the weekend's hurling. Have a great Thursday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.